0: Off the Central Coast tour. Apparently,
1: it's the Central Coast. I kept (laughs) calling it the fucking SoCal tour, and you were getting real triggered about it. (laughs) They're gonna be offended. I was like SoCal tour because I they make fun of us North Bay folks because they're like anything south of like San Jose, we call Southern California.
0: Like to be completely fair, what's the line? To be completely fair, I think it's debatable whether or not Santa Barbara is SoCal. I've never called it SoCal. I've always called it the Central Coast.
1: Well, I take your word for it because you yeah. lived there and I um, didn't. But I think of it as... I
0: consider like...
1: Like if you cut California in half, I think Santa Barbara would so be on the lower this is half. where
0: I... Th- yeah, for sure. But... But
1: there's a central part. So, so we're cutting there, it into
0: thirds? Check it out. Like <laughs> the way I look at Santa Barbara is it is... Actually on the one part of California where the ocean is to the south
1: which always screws me up when I'm there So I think (laughs) I think I think it's west. Yeah
0: Yeah, so like everywhere else in California (laughs) the oceans to the west right, but in Santa Barbara they it's also called the south coast because the coastline is to the south which is kind of (laughs) confusing and I Personally believe when it goes back to having the coast to the west that's when I think it's SoCal
1: so just under Santa Barbara so you yeah. think of Santa Barbara because when I think Central Coast I think Paso Robles
0: I think Paso Robles to slow to Santa Barbara is where does
1: Monterey get in there
0: uh, they're, they're, they they're think they're the Bay Area they're really funny they're about pretty that. far down yeah Salinas is like kind of borderline Central Coast King City like that okay. kind of area too Yeah, but yeah I think Santa Barbara I don't really consider it SoCal because I mean there's still four whole hours of California after that all that's the way down true.
1: to San Diego yeah but then Northern California, like the Bay Area gets wrapped up in Northern California, but there's a bunch yeah. of stuff above us, too. So it's... Yeah, I... Anyway, we just yeah. got... <laughs> this is a
0: geography <laughs> podcast.
1: Everyone's <laughs> like, yes,
0: we've seen California on a map well, before. just to really quickly wrap it up, we are starting pretty late, so... And we feel like this one could, could be a doozy. There's so, a
1: lot to go over, and to we're going to gonna try about. to do it we're gonna quick. We're going to have to turn off all
0: the clocks in our house. So we thorough,
1: that, yeah, that'll be fine.
0: But um, basically... Mm. What we did is we all hopped well, I picked up Elante. We hopped in my car. We had a bunch of stuff. We we opted not to get a trailer because we just thought it would be too much to rent one and then, you know, return it and pay for three days or four days or whatever it turns yeah, out. Yeah, we to be.
1: us the four of us in our gear fit really pretty comfortably
0: between two cars. Yeah, so we caravaned. Um, down to Morrow Bay which is this cute little beach town which I I'd, I'd heard of but I had never been before.
1: It's got a giant rock.
0: Like a giant yeah. rock. And we were like what is the name of the rock? We thought it was going to be something really cool and it turns out it's just It Moro looks like somebody
1: rock. took Half Dome and shrunk plopped it. it in the ocean. Yeah and like that's shrunk exactly it and what it looks plopped like. it in the ocean. Yeah. yeah it's definitely smaller than Half Dome but it's like yeah. the same kind of like size and it's just like a big big But it was thing. a fun
0: town because like a ton of locals just go to the siren to check out the music hey. that comes through and that's a word world world-class smaller music venue. Like the sound guy's world-class, the stage is world-class, and a lot of the acts that go through there are world-class. Not that we're calling ourselves world-class, but we were fortunate enough to be paired up with some Great people, Drew Hagar, who's Sammy Hagar's son, but Drew Hagar is completely his own animal. Really oh, yeah. kind, awesome guy. Oh, he's
1: such a sweetheart.
0: And um, his guitarist uh, Scott, right? Scott, Scott yeah, yeah. And um, so those two are in. S- they're in a band called SOS, and they kind of play like some uh, like kind of grungy acoustic rock music, and. Um, yeah, and Drew is just a really interesting kind dude. He, he it turns out he's like a he was like a professional Muay Thai coach too. So he yeah, like yeah, yeah. he has his it's, head in like a lot of different yeah. stuff, but he's really pursuing music now. And now they're in the Bay Area. Um, so that's pretty cool and then King Daniel who's um, he sounds a lot to me like Raylan Baxter very similar um, great
1: singing voice great singing incredible voice incredible and really
0: hilarious stage presence he was so funny
2: I, oh he, I was you couldn't take your eyes laughing. off him yeah, yeah he
1: really had had uh, magic to him yeah. um, I, I like his songs a lot too there were some some that, I, I always know if I if I really liked a uh, a performer, if I think later about a song and go, oh, I'd like to hear that song again.
2: Yeah, for you sure. You know,
1: like that's my little marker of like, oh, I actually wanna look that up and hear that song again because I, I liked it and I liked the story and I wanna hear it again. Yeah,
0: and they you gave know? us a, a bunch of nice compliments. We hung out with them in the green room. And just had a killer time with them. It, we yeah. were just fast friends back then And there were
1: a lot. There was a good amount of people there too. So it was a really lively show.
0: A lot of people um, on vacation there.
1: Bachelorette party was there. Yeah, they loved me. The man handled me a little bit. It was
0: fine. I got a number on a cup. <laughs> No. Yeah, you
1: did. I know. I had a. I was announcing a song, and uh, two things happened. One, one girl hands Stuart a styrofoam cup, and it's just like, la, 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 la. and I was like, okay, maybe she's requesting a song that she wrote on this cup. So that happened, and Stu kind of. P- I thought
0: she was giving me like a shot or something <laughs> at first. I was like, was what's going cup. on here? I was yeah. like, okay,
1: and then I went kind of center stage to introduce a song, and this woman, as I'm talking, this woman grabs my arm and Real pulls aggressive. me down, really <laughs> Real aggressively, aggressive. and pulls me down like two feet and i'm like trying to pull back and like keep talking and i'm like okay i can't ignore this so i'm like what's up and she's like yeah, beautiful i was like okay anyway let's carry on on the show
0: it'd be great if they had a kind-hearted security guard there no, it like. was
2: it was it was
1: totally a nice it was she was trying to be nice but she was just really strong and really drunk and it, it just kind of was like really intense um i feel
0: like i just feel like the central coast is kind of more of our crowd because they like like the kind of music that we play, like yeah, the kind I of rock and roll it. Americana and they're they're just kind of like a wet part of California where they really love to go and out it was, drinking.
1: I mean, in their defense too, yeah. it's a freaking bachelorette party, yeah. so whatever. We're used to those in the Napa Valley. Um, and oh then, yeah, this uh, one girl
0: asked if she could hop on stage. She like, hey, she's like, hey, come here. She like beckons me. She's oh, like, no. hey, come here. And she's like, can I get on stage? I'm like, no. I'm sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> For she,
1: it's yeah, way it's too much shit to trip on up here. Yeah, just...
0: Yeah, too much going on. So yeah, Morro Bay idea. was like I was worried that it wasn't going to be a great show because I'd never like I knew it was a small town. I'd never been to the venue. I couldn't vouch for like any kind of natural draw. And I don't. I'm not going to pretend like we have any sway in the central like that part of so the central so many Coast.
1: fans in Morro Bay. What are yeah. you talking about? No, Dude, now we do. Now we do. Oh my God. <laughs> we did not. Before. It was killer.
0: It was. It was lit. Oh, <laughs> I had, was we had say. two
1: different people. One a couple in probably their 40s, and one a couple in probably their fifties offer us to stay at their house
0: like that night. Damn. If only that happened in San Luis. <laughs> <Minnesota>. <laughs> they
1: Three were like, Hey, do you want, they were like, Hey, do you guys have somewhere to stay? And I was like, actually we're driving through the night. Like we played the show. We left the venue at what? One or two. And we drove uh, we actually left around 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. We got to Santa Barbara around two twenty. 20. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Or anyway. Um, so yeah, so we drove through the, through the night. Yeah. Post show.
0: Stayed um, at our friend's house. The house that I used to live at. We call it the U because the it's U. shaped like a big U, and it's some of my best. friends They were friends all asleep when we got oh, there, I knew, and I, I was like, I knew I they like, would be. Oh, I
2: thought they'd be
1: awake. It's Friday night. It's like two in the morning, and then the next morning, Colin's like, Yeah, it was two in the morning, it's super late, and I was like, I yeah, and oh, he also said he said we were preparing for a Saturday night. Everybody was like trying yeah. to keep it chill. So then Saturday we played a... Uh, Saturday
0: diets. was w- another incredible night in Santa Barbara, which is starting to become the the norm, yeah. I guess, whenever we play there. It's just... we. I've, I had a, a really strong community there, and they show out big time. And at first it was kind of like, a, oh, yeah, let's go see Stu's band and support him. Oh, yeah. And now it's kind of evolved into a, this... Whenever they play here, it's just like a a freaking party, like a huge party.
1: Genuinely, I think Alante said this. I think he, I think it was Alante. He said something like, I think, you know, when like the first time we played Santa Barbara and Stuart's friends all came out, they were like, we're supporting Stuart, Stuart, you know, and like, and then they showed up and we started playing and they're like, oh, they're they're good, you know. Yeah. Like we could have been terrible, and they still would have been like, we love and support you, Stuart. Yeah. but like I think that they genuinely do also enjoy the well, show.
0: It's a great atmosphere, and that's what really is the best part about yeah. it. I mean, our music, I think that they really enjoy, but that atmosphere that the music brings is what they really enjoy because. Yeah. I mean, they enjoy that as well because, you know, people are drinking and having a good time. They're buying each other shots. We have some dancing music, too. Dancing, they're making out. Like, people are going home with each other. People
1: were making out. Yeah, it's like... There's nothing I love to see more than people just making out in front of the stage. I'm like, yes. If this is what's (laughs) happening for you, then I'm...
0: Great. Yeah, I heard so many incredible stories from people the next day. They're oh like I'll soundtrack just about that. their crazy nights and all that. Oh, and like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I had a bunch of other friend other friend groups um, that I'm I'm just starting to meet now.
1: Yeah. I met some people there that weren't at our last show. And and highlight, I think, what made it a huge love fest, as we knew it would be, also is that uh, Curtis and Bill oh, opened yeah, the show. Oh, yeah. Of
2: course. Uh, um,
1: yeah. And they, uh, I mean,
2: you also can both,
0: <laughs> They're also both in the ultimate Frisbee community. I played ultimate with them in college. So I, it was like a no brainer for me. I was thinking long and hard, like, Oh, who but should talented. I get to open the show? And then I forgot that Curtis moved into my old room yeah. and he's a musician who plays yeah. all the time. And they have a really cool story where they both taught abroad in Spain, right. in Madrid. Him and and then they, uh, they toured by foot hitchhiked through from, Spain, from oh. Spain all the way down to France, I think.
1: Yes. And the two Playing of them on the street, just then... busked
0: every single day to pay for their trip
1: pay for their i think like and, I'll, like and i like i've stayed at hostels in france and spain and they're like 15 bucks a night so if you can make that you've got a room for the night they i don't know if that's they what were, they were they doing they said they were
0: making 60 to 100 euros a day just that's playing
1: awesome yeah that's that's more Which than enough to go, survive
0: god damn it emily and i should go busk around europe for Fuck a month it.
1: <laughs> life's short be dude fun. But That'd yeah, so, so, and fun. Bill plays ukulele and they, they did a bunch of really cool medleys, um, and songs and, uh, and just got the vibe really, uh, really warm and friendly. Right and, before and we, we learned from
0: our mistakes at the last show where we, our stage volume was just too loud at the last show. We got, we also were, we were so blown away by how enthusiastic everyone was that our adrenaline kind of got the better of us in the last show. And I think we were really able to reel it in this time. Yeah, we we I agree. reeled in the sound a lot better. And we reeled in our adrenaline a lot better and channeled right. it in a good way. And we also, I mean we had a great time the like the whole day was incredible like we went to wine therapy and like yeah drank a bunch of wine before the show like well, played, we, we had, we had a little and then
1: I, I remember being like we need to go back to the house and chill um yeah. so i can kind of get in the right mindset and uh we were really tired from getting in at you know two and yeah. getting up early yeah i got to
0: relax a little. so we
1: uh we decided to uh head back and just kind of chill before the show and no one was at the house so we hung yeah out. but anyway so we played dargins and then uh sunday morning we uh we went to a cool little like
0: lunch. Can I say one together? more, can I say one more yes. highlight um, for Please. the show? Yeah. The last. So one of my favorite things about Curtis is set is he adopted one of our songs. Oh,
1: I forgot. I was going to say this. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot.
0: He, he's adopted this one of our huge. songs yeah. called. Well, it's called while the sun's in your eyes and he yeah. plays it. He covers it and plays it like at open mic. He
1: told me he played it in, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Spain when he was teaching. He actually taught the lyrics to his class. Yeah, and he like used examples and the lyrics, and I was like, "That's fucking
0: crazy." And it's, <laughs> it's such a compliment. And then, so I was, it's I was thinking, compliment. I was like, he was like, "Dude, would it kill you guys if I played while the sun's in your eyes at the concert?" I'm like, and again, it like clicked in my head. I was like, "Why don't we just play it together?" Yeah, and then we also played a "Polar Opposites" in college. Like, right, that was a song that we all would like you know go drinking and then we'd go back to the house play guitars and we'd all sing polar opposites and like yeah. a handful of other songs so, so i was he, like so that community really knows the song polar opposites yeah so they love it we we decided to bring curtis it's a modest mouse song by the way yeah curtis we and do. bill up for the last two songs yeah so we
1: we basically finaled by bringing both bands on stage yeah and uh and doing while well, the sun's in your eyes and then uh polar opposites which is a chorus is I'm trying to drink away the part of the yeah. day that i cannot
0: sleep away and the whole audience so was everyone singing was like yeah, i get everyone, it <laughs> dude everyone was singing it everyone, everyone told it. me the next day they're like oh yeah i drank way more than i wanted to like people are sending me snapchat so their bills at the end of the night it was hilarious oh
2: god it, yeah it me, i
0: was like we need to charge dargan some more money <laughs> yeah
1: no that's the takeaway for sure yeah. um but so yeah that was
0: that was a real Beautiful but, night. yeah, shout out to Dargans too. That's my probably my favorite bar of all time and They're
1: fabulous. Yeah. And then um so Sunday we uh we kind of chilled for a bit and got on the road and headed to San Luis Obispo where you know I've never been there. I don't know how I've really? never I've never been there. I was like we like drove through the downtown, we like went to the Airbnb, kicked it for a while um and then like went to downtown to go to the venue and we were driving around and I'm like I thought i'd been here but i don't I, i've not been it's here.
0: a really cool downtown it's a cool little college on a town. friday and saturday night like the yeah, sunday. So this is a sunday yeah. night gig
1: at a a little dive bar called frog and peach yeah. um that uh was
0: really f- awkward shaped
1: for yeah. a venue so if you walk in on the left is a stage that's facing you if you just walked in and then after the stage is a long bar where
0: all the people go where because that's where all go. the seats are. And
1: then, so so the bar is perpendicular to the front of the stage, so it's like one big line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was standing on stage, there's also a giant PA monitor to my left that's <laughs> just blocking the entire, the entire bar. If that makes yeah. sense, so you can't. So I w- We were just performing to like a wall. That's to the right of the front door, um, because everybody was at the bar. So it's it started off a little
0: weird, but yeah, we, we I think actually it's just a shout out, I think. Dude, shout out to the Rose Valley Thorns they yeah. came out to watch us and so
1: there was a little yeah. group that came in um of these like gorgeous people came and they like sat at like a actual table where they could see us where uh, no one else some was sitting
0: people though oh,
1: like, <laughs> yeah. i was like oh that's some college or oh, whatever. Yeah. and um i could see like the the girl that was with them the chick that was with them um was like vibing she was very it. enthusiastic yeah and yeah. i i was like l- she's the only person i could see at all so like i was just like i was like yeah like she's keeping me going right now because i'm like performing to a wall, you know, there's like no one else. So I was like, yeah, this is good, this is good. And I was like, oh maybe they just wandered in and they like they're digging it. And then yeah, right uh sort of near the end of our second set, we have a three hour set, they uh they came up and uh and how did we figure it out? So they, I said, Hey,
0: where are you guys from? And they're like, Oh we're actually uh we're a traveling band too and I'm right, like, right. What's your guys' band name? And they're like, We're the rose Valley Thorns. I'm like, oh I know you guys because we follow each other on Instagram. We've been trying to get shows together with them yes. for the last like six or seven months.
1: Oh, we're definitely going to do it now. We're buddies across, now. <laughs> like,
0: whenever we're in the Central Coast, they're in the Bay Area. It's like we're doing this every oh, time. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So Well, that just means that we can out. get them
1: some Bay Area shows and we can get them.
0: That's the plan. We're going to figure it out. And then, they're from Ojai, California, which is would be a great place to play on a Sunday, like a chill Sunday. But anyway, before that, we went to this cool spot called Cold Spring Tavern in Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. Santa Barbara, sorry. And it's like a a really fun little like biker tavern, which is almost like a gold country, like mine looking (laughs) bar. It looks like a little, yeah,
1: yeah, wooden, like low ceiling, like Hunter's Lodge in the hills. It was really cool. That's
0: a perfect way to put it. Hunter's Lodge. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And we had a few beers and drank and ate some delicious tri-tip sandwiches and yeah. usually there's bands there. we've been trying to get in there but apparently the wait list is impossible so anyway it was just a really all-around great great time can I tell my Ted Bundy story oh yeah tell about that weird guy
1: yeah we had a little Ted Bundy moment yeah um, I wish I was there <laughs> you were there no um, I was outside well you were there towards the end so we're at the uh San Luis Obispo show on a Sunday night and it's, it's, it's super, super dead. Like there's not that many people there. Um, so we ended a little early. Like the bartender was like, Hey, you guys can and stop. It, like, I wish
0: just we hadn't because like literally when we were packing it was out,
1: midnight and there was like, and, like four people there people and they were like, you like, like, they were like, you can just pack up. It's cool. Like I know you guys are from out of town and we're like, all right. So we, um, so she says that and we're like, okay, so we, there's no one there. So we go to start, I, I got off stage. We start packing up. And I have my guitar and I'm off the stage and I'm putting my guitar in a case and I see this dude who's probably fifteen feet away from me sitting at a table. Probably like a twenty seven-year-old
0: guy, twenty-eight. He looked like thirty-five to me. Really? He looked older. Yeah. He okay. was skinny, but he
1: was like kinda looked disheveled. Um and just kinda like I don't know. anyway, so he was sitting, he had a bunch of stuff and he was sitting like he just sat down had and a he was yeah, he had a backpack and he was drinking uh <laughs> drinking like a glass of just water. He wasn't he didn't buy a drink at the bar. And uh, I saw him out of the corner of my eye take his uh, like plastic water cup and just like throw it towards the stage. But it like hit a trash can. And I was like, oh, this guy's like weirdly angry out of nowhere. He's by himself. Right. And I was like, "Okay, you know, it's not my first time seeing an angry dude at a bar or whatever. And then he stands up and he walks right up to me and he's like three feet away from me. And he's like, you guys not going to fucking play? I came here to see you fucking play. And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I was like, "Emily, like, hey, he was man. just a
0: dedicated fan who I, wanted to see <laughs> his favorite band I, play." No, no, no,
1: I don't think he came to see us. I think he saw that a band was playing, and like, because I'd saw him, I'd seen him walk by a few times, because there was a lot of like street people hanging out at that time, and like I'd seen him walk. I don't think he was one, but I'd seen him walk by a few times because we were right in front of the window, and so I think he saw Dude, that they we were partying. Were playing. Like two I think he saw that we were playing, and then he just kind of wandered in, and then we we like started packing up, and that like really triggered him yeah <laughs> so he came he at got me for sure. he came at me and he had these like big like scary ted bundy eyes like just super angry and he was like really aggressive coming at me and yeah yeah tom and Alante immediately Alante was not having immediately it. Yeah. jump off the stage and get between us and they're like what's up man what's up what's up
0: Alante. Alante looked at him and he says you need to leave right now or you're gonna get yourself hurt
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. I
0: love Alante so much. I know. Much.
1: I love it, dude. I love it. They, uh, yeah, they just came, they were like, yeah, they just jumped off the stage. I'm like not trying to say we're like the hardest foot high stage, band in the and world. And they just but. jumped off and they're like, nope, absolutely <laughs> it's, not. It's
0: refreshing to see them like stand up for you I, and I oh, I, of course I was they would. loading shit into the car at this point so I didn't see any of this go down I can't
1: believe that so yeah it, like, war- it's, you know, it warmed just my weird heart timing. to know
0: that you know that they would
1: oh well obviously Tom yeah. is gonna well, help yeah. and then Alante. I think Alante noticed just a Elante little no- bit before Alante
0: noticed when the cup was thrown and then he was watching it and then the second he got up and started Talking to you, Alante was yeah. like, Is that that's what I heard? He anyway. came at me pretty yeah.
1: fast, and I was like, whoa. And um, so anyway, yeah. So they were like, you gotta get out. And then a bartender came around and was like, you're out, man. You're out. Like you're out. Like immediately. And so he he left. But before he left, he said a few hilarious things. Oh yeah, he
0: was. He's, he really <laughs> gave it to us really good. He said, um, he's like,
1: he uh, points at Alante and he says, I'm a better drummer than you, man.
0: <laughs> and Alante's like, okay. We're like, all and right, then, man. And then he was walking away. It was so funny. He walks away and he turns around. And he's like, you know what? You're not as good as Led Zeppelin, man. And like. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, no. <laughs> We're like, no, no shit. One's sir. No one's disagreeing with you on that. <laughs> shit, sir. We're not as good as Led Zeppelin. Okay. But so he. It, we <laughs> want Do know what the funniest thing was? Is like right after he said that, he knew it was the dumbest shit to say ever. Like I could see it <laughs> in his face. He was like, "You're not as..." Ah, oh, fuck! That was stupid. <laughs> and he like just I left. I think I
1: got the I got a I got a meth vibe from him. He wasn't drunk because he wasn't drinking. I just got a real. I got like, a mental
0: health vibe from him for sure.
1: And he left. And then so we got back on stage. We were like, "Okay, whatever. That's our cue to leave." You know. And so we keep packing up. And then at some point, Stu and I are standing on stage, and this dude walks back in for like five seconds, and just he left gl- his
0: phone in his chart there.
1: Yeah, so he grabs yeah. that and he kind of like looks around and then he leaves and Stuart and I look at each other and we make eye contact and I was like, Ted Bundy vibes, right? And you were like, oh
0: shit! I was just I,
2: about, I was to about to say that because he kind of looks
1: like Ted yeah, Bundy. Yeah,
0: he looked like him in his face but he had long hair. But had his long face hair, but was like identical. The eyes,
1: the kind of skinny and the skinny yeah. nose and like the sunken head, Like yeah. Anyway, so that was our little moment where I was like, it's time to go.
0: Yeah, anyway, we, we went back to the Airbnb we, we drank a bunch of light beers and just talked about music music, and I mean it's easy to like feel down about a show that doesn't go nearly as well as the previous two nights but that's I life, was, right? I, like, and I don't pl- That's life as a musician. I, I'd like
1: to play that venue again. I think it was a weird weird it has Sunday night thing. Yeah, be on a Friday thing. or Saturday? Yeah, Cuz I've was been just... there on a
0: Friday or and Saturday and it's packed.
1: I've heard it's insane. Yeah, yeah. So I think we had to like, I hate this expression. I hate it, but cut our teeth a little on a Sunday night. Yeah. And um and then we could come back and play a real night. So so anyway, um that was our uh we got home yesterday and we're all a little uh
0: Burned I hibernated, out, but feeling I hibernated so hard yesterday I got like I was falling asleep on the drive home like Alante and I stopped multiple times to just like splash water on our face like get energy yeah. drinks and like kind of do a few jumping jacks you know yeah I got home passed out and literally about 35 seconds in my bed and then woke up. I went to the gym and then I was there for like 45 minutes and I was like, yeah, I'm done. And I went back home and went to sleep again. And I slept until about, I don't know, 10 o'clock this morning.
1: Yeah, we. Oh, that sounds uh, yeah. great. I, was just out. <laughs> I went to work today, and I was, and everyone was like, "How was your vacation?" And I was like, "Um, no." <laughs> it was. It was work. I'm I mean, like, it was I don't mean fun. to be it like, was all bitter and weird, but we were like, "Oh, yeah. how was your time off?" I'm like, "It wasn't." It, I know you guys haven't seen me in four days, but like, I've been. I I just said to people, I was like, it was a whirlwind. We were driving. We were spending eight hours a night at each venue. Yeah. Like we get to the venue at five, where they're till one. Yeah. You know, or whatever. I math, and um. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even anyway uh one or two and it's like it's exhausting and you're sleeping on a couch so you're not getting yeah. great sleep and i was like i was like yeah it, don't think i was just like lying on a beach for four days like this yeah. is and i people it's, it's really the constant struggle i have People don't with understand work the musician and, oh totally right? it's they like they think it's, that you're
0: just work. like dicking around like you know and it, yeah. it's not that way at all you oh, it's
1: it's work you're setting you're wrapping cables you're setting shit up you're like yeah. I mean Tom's a great definition of that it's like he'll take time off to like do these long gigs with the unoriginals and it's like it's work work those shows you know these three hour gigs I mean, they, they,
0: we got paid well this weekend but it was also like also a lot it's of work. work no and yeah.
1: I and, and I just want to say that I like loved every second of it and look forward to the next one and I'm not trying to be like oh what poor us we got to do a little mini tour like it, it was absolutely just like the highlight of but it
0: was rewarding in a way that regular work yes. is not like at but all it's still, unless, like, unless it's you still... enjoy and like love and have passion for your regular exactly. work but for us we we don't necessarily so this is like what our passion is yeah. so when we do something like this yes it's work but it's rewarding work yeah. and it's an it is work like in the sense that you're you're physically doing stuff Right. and you're and you're thinking, and you're moving, and you're doing all this crap. Yeah. But it's also like it's also like the payoff to all the hard work we do leading up to this. Yeah. You know, like all totally. of the songwriting, all totally. of the practicing, the driving to rehearsals, the loading up the van, and well, not that we have a van, you know what I mean? Loading up whatever shit we We're have. We're gonna get
1: one, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it it's always rough to anyway get back to, to your other work and go. Yeah. Gosh, you know. Anyway, one day. Yeah, one so, day. Uh, so let's get into uh, what we're going to talk about today because I think it's a lot. Uh, so we've been doing, this is going to be our third Rewind episode, correct?
0: And Yeah, and we love these third? Rewind episodes, yeah. but this one, honestly, hopefully we... Uh,
1: this one stressed us out.
0: Hopefully we... <laughs> Hopefully we don't butcher it because like it is, a, is lot. a lot to dissect. It's a lot. So we it's a tried lot to organize, and usually we do one story and then another story, but this story is so intertwined. We combined that forces, we combined on it, and so um, we're gonna
1: talk about yeah two different um, rock and roll bands that have a common theme in Charles Manson, and we're gonna focus on my goal was to focus on because there's you can't like there in front of me there's a book about charles manson that is like fucking 400 pages long like you, we could get into manson and that's not and just like his whole timeline and what we're what we want to do from our rock and roll rewind sort of perspective is talk about um his relationship with rock and roll. And of course he was a musician as many of you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, you know, a lot of like the regular, uh, things that we've all heard of Manson, um, obviously the murders, obviously the cults, obviously the family and all that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about about it. But what we're going to focus on is, um, you know, and, and, and I've read Helter Skelter. Um, and I, I didn't know, like, I'm going to talk about, uh, the beach boys, Dennis Wilson's relationship with Charles Manson. I didn't know 90% of this part of his story. And so it was really interesting to me. I remember
0: looking it up a few years ago when I was on like this Manson binge, um it was like so it was when i first realized that Charles Manson's music was on Spotify and i was like holy shit like what, what yeah, the hell yeah how did that happen <laughs> and i was like he's a musician and then i looked he's up got like, like five albums and then on and i there. looked up like Charles Manson music on Google and i saw like his connection with the Beach Boys and i was like oh my god what and it was just
1: It was always like a footnote in like cuz we're we like we like true crime we're interested in it and we're not we're not going to try to do a true crime version of this podcast obviously that's a aspect of it. But I always felt like the Brian, the Dennis Wilson thing was a footnote in the big true crime story of Manson and yeah. the Beatles thing, which is what you're going to discuss in the Halter skelzer connection was also like a footnote, but people really wanted to talk about Manson. But it was family. also
0: like the linchpin of oh, the, the whole the driving trial. fucking force. And whole, I mean, Manson I mean, was going to be was, a weirdo either way. But. Yeah. It was the driving force for the whole, um, theology behind the murders, And then it was also a driving force in the conviction of the murders. So the Beatles played; they didn't even, I mean, they try to play it off like, Oh, he's just a crazy guy. And it's like, yeah, he is just a crazy guy, but you don't, I mean, I'm not trying to put any blame on the Beatles for this at all. But the fact of the matter is, is, it is a huge part of this narrative is the white album and the beatles yeah. so we're going to talk about that too and so is
1: and dennis wilson who felt guilty about it until the day he passed away um was also a huge uh huge uh part
0: of the story as well so as do I you want to just get into like the early part of manson up until yeah i think uh, we're going to
1: we're gonna jump back and forth a little here, guys. <laughs> um, we're just yeah. gonna, yeah, keep it.
0: I have a timeline in front of me, and like I'm. We're gonna, gonna try to yeah, be yeah. chronological
1: because there's so <laughs> there's so much that fucking happens that it's like let's just go chronologically because that's the easiest way to tell a story. 100, <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, I have that. Uh, I think his name was Miles, which is a middle name. I have it's Mills or Miles. Am I L-L-E-S? So Charles miles manson could be mills yeah he was born on november twelfth, nineteen 1934 um and yeah he uh do you know much about his childhood other than
1: um i know that um in his teens when he was getting into crime he ended up uh after being um he ended up living with like grandparents for a while i know his grandma really doted on him but his parents were kind of
0: so he had that Not, typical, yeah. typical early life where maybe he was bouncing around, didn't have a whole lot of like stable, loving, yeah. But he, community. there were
1: always red flags with him, um, when he was growing up. Like, he had a cousin who was a female, I can't remember her name, I feel like it was like Joanne or something. And, uh, she has, she was like this really like pure, like nice person. And she had some weird stories about Charles from when they were like in like elementary school where like, um, she like, I remember one that I read where Charles was like getting attacked by this older boy and his cousin came in and like bit the older boy or something like to defend Manson. And then when the teachers were like, Charlie, what happened? Like, she's such a good kid and it's usually your fault. And he was like, I don't know what happened. She just bit him out of nowhere. Huh? Yeah. He didn't stand up for her. So there's, there's just weird, there's just weird early on, uh, kind of red flags that maybe he's a, Maybe he doesn't have the same, yeah, empathy that most of us do. Red flags, anyway. So but, I uh, <laughs> actually,
0: I actually just read a little bit about his father. So
1: okay, thanks. Yeah, I was father, gonna say, yeah, his, his father, I didn't his, mother, look
0: at. his mother filed a paternity, a paternity suit against a father, who was um, in the army, and he also worked um, in local the, mills allegedly, the, and the, he had a reputation as a con artist, which is kind of funny, which is exactly, which what is Manson so weird became. because it's like he didn't know his father, but. It seems like they were kind of along the same path. So when the paternity soup happened and his mother um, told him that she was pregnant, his name, his father's name was uh, Colonel Walker Henderson Scott. and His name was Colonel. So he, I don't think he was actually a colonel, but he let people believe that he was a colonel. Even though that Colonel. was just his like birth so certificate. When, when, yeah, when she told him that <laughs> so, yeah, when she told him that he was pregnant, he was like, oh, I've been called away on army business. And then uh, she uh, he just left. Lord. So, so yeah, I guess he grew up probably without a
1: You know father. when uh when Bugliosi, so Vincent Bugliosi wrote Helter Skelter, um, which I read a few years ago. I and wish I could have reread the whole rock fucking star, thing. Oh, he's way. a badass. Um I wish I could have reread it before we did this podcast, but I have read it in the past. A few years ago, and um, he uh, he mentions how uh, the paternity of Charles Manson is a little bit up in the air, too, and Charles kind of knew that, um, so he maybe, that was maybe his father, but it was, there were other options as well, is how I'll put it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Manson, when he was growing up, he had tons, I guess, tons of strings with you know, uh, breaking the law.
1: Yeah. They said by the time he was 30, he'd spent half of his life, um, in either juvenile detentions or in prison.
0: Yeah. Um, And he, uh, he like stole a car when he was a kid, he was arrested. Um,
1: he was always a criminal Armed
0: robbery. Yeah. He wasn't
1: just like a hippie that became a criminal. He was always a criminal. I think he was a criminal that became a hippie that became a criminal. Yeah, <laughs> he's and always been a criminal. That's there was, uh,
0: he has, lifestyle. he said, so he went to a reform school and then he said that like a bunch of boys would like rape him at the behest of the counselors. And right, shit like I read that. this too. And it's yeah. like, is that really true? Like, or is that something that would make people like want to like be like Empathize oh my with god you've yeah. been through so much that's why you know he's I mean? such a creep that, doesn't yeah. that sound like complete bullshit it's like yeah oh the teachers are like oh rape him and it's like really is that what's going on And he on? never names anybody either he's yeah. like he's like there were some really cruel teachers and they're like
1: who who was it and he's like just some really fucked up teachers like he never never names anybody yeah, I mean, he said. Uh, so it sounds like more manip- manipulation on his
0: part. Yeah, he uh, apparently he escaped this place and um, and left for California, is yeah. what I'm seeing here. So yeah, crazy. He um, he ended up going to pre- prison, um, I believe. Jeez, um, what 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 was it? Was oh yeah, he he was caught. So I think there could be a little bit of truth. To him being sexually abused as a kid, because his first offense that he was actually convicted of was was allegedly raping another boy at night when knife he was point. a child, he loves or when knives. he was how We're old gonna, was he yeah, February nineteen fifty two, so he was quick math quick math he was eighteen at the time, Jesus or seventeen or eighteen yeah so
1: honestly a seventeen eighteen year old man is a big it's a big person so he could he could absolutely
0: yeah and he's just he so it, it, yeah let's just let's just skip over all this bullshit, like <laughs> yeah, he was an asshole, all this stuff happened, blah 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 blah, um, the main thing that we wanted to take away from this whole imprisonment thing is he ended up going to prison, and I believe he was discharged in nineteen sixty four or sorry nineteen sixty seven he was discharged, but he first heard the Beatles in 1964 when he was in prison. Huh. And this was um, while trying, he was in prison for trying to cash forged U.S. treasury checks. So he went away huh. for a few years and he was also taught to play guitar by a fellow inmate. And he used to tell the the inmate and his and other inmates that he would eventually be bigger than the Beatles.
2: <laughs> yeah. It
1: sounds like the Beatles quote bigger than Jesus.
0: Yeah. Only uh, <laughs> I'm I'm more offended by his quote <laughs> to be completely <laughs> 100%. <honest. laughs>
1: I'm going to be bigger than the Beatles with these four chords that I know.
0: I think we're bigger than the Beatles already, Emily.
1: Oh, wow. Hot As take. is evidenced Hot by
0: our uh, take. number one fan in
1: Hot San Luis take.
0: Obispo. So he was uh, released in 1967 from uh, prison at the age of 32. In the summer... Uh, he, he left, um, from, so he was in San Francisco and at this point he was like, apparently he was quite the ladies man and he was like staying in an apartment. I think it could have been Berkeley or it could have been San Francisco. I can't remember exactly. I think San Francisco is so, where he So he was living in San was, Francisco yeah. with an apartment, I, with upwards of like 20 people in this apartment. And I think they were mostly women is what I've, is what I've heard before. Um, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't verify that 100, percent but I heard that that's kind of where he started meeting these women and these guys who were kind of drawn to him, be, mostly because of his like g- connection with women. I think a lot of men were like drawn to him because they're like, oh, sh- oh my god, he he has like this pull with women. And as you know, like especially well, with concerts,
1: in- like if women go to concerts.
0: Yeah men come to concerts and if women go to Charles Manson, now it's like men are coming to Charles Manson. So all of a sudden this family starts to happen and he, I wouldn't call it a cult leader yet, but he definitely has this magnetism and he has these, this weird charisma and leadership ability. Yeah. You know, say what you will, people are drawn to him. And I think it's also a lot of powerful drugs involved as well.
1: Well, he would, yeah, they would like, uh,
0: I mean, this is the height of the Summer of Love, like, 67 in San Francisco. He was also
1: kind of poaching, like, women or, sorry, young girls. He was grabbing, like, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Oh, my God, yeah. Okay. Um, That were, like, kind of, like lost or like on the street already already or like vulnerable vulnerable. people. And then he's like, you know, this looking you in the eye and saying, Hey, you're special and you're blah, blah, blah. And then just bring, and then I can, you know, come live with me and blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of that too. Um, And they, um, when I was reading Helter Skelter uh, by Bugliosi, uh, he talks about how uh, they'd have these like acid parties that would usually turn into like these orgies or whatever. And Manson was always completely... Sober, not on acid. So he there's really? a, there's not yeah there's an element of con- I think he did acid but like during these like big kind of things he was always like in control. Did you
0: say that like so he always like, keeps acid parties slash orgies is that what?
1: That's you- what I just yeah said.
0: okay. <laughs> I was like, did I hear that right?
1: Yeah, you just <laughs> heard that right. I um, actually read a quote. It's
0: um, <laughs> definitely a thing. i read a quote. I can't remember exactly what it what it was, but it was like. Manson used to just be into orgies until he heard like The White Album. Oh <laughs> which
2: no. It's like all this crazy he shit. He was definitely
1: like yeah. I said he was a fucking criminal like his whole his whole life.
0: Well he was a con man and a criminal. Yeah, like he was a manipulative There individual. is I just
1: found this regarding his parents. There is like a little I don't I don't know the if this is super factual but it's it's definitely in a lot of the articles that I saw and it's like apparently during his childhood uh Manson's mother tried to sell him for a pitcher of beer to another woman Sounds um, like
0: a good deal huh? is, I mean I- yeah
1: right get this <laughs> fucking weirdo out of my life um his uncle had to find uh had to find that woman so that he could get his nephew back <laughs> Okay anyway so that so if we're going to talk though, about him having why? a little bit of a fucked up childhood why that's would part you- of
2: it
0: Buy a kid. Like yeah hot, Like that's the real question. This is what, the forties? Because he was born in the 34s? Yeah. So. Who is this lady <laughs> trying to buy this kid?
1: Everyone in this scenario is terrifying to me. Okay. Everybody. Um it's a goddamn nightmare. Um so yeah. anyway,
0: um so where were we? Um so we just got to he was released from prison. Okay. And in the, in the summer of 67, he left San Francisco with a group of his followers in this school bus and, um, he dubbed his adventures in this vehicle, the magical mystery tour. So his, wow, it's so original. His (laughs) shit with the Beatles is already like starting to become obsessive. Like everything he's starting to do is like usually a Beatles reference, um he's talking to his followers, using the Beatles as like who obviously are the biggest band in the history of the world at this point. Yeah. And um, he's using them to kind of direct his messages to right. his followers. He, he's, he's
1: saying, guys, it's evident right here. It's here. Yeah. The Beatles I don't know are telling if you this. I don't know if he's
0: clearly like giving him the messages yet, but he's definitely like using them to be like, Hey, we're going on this magical mystery tour. And like the Beatles are awesome. And like, you know, he's definitely using the Beatles influence to like, kind of pump up his own quote brand. So this is
1: just, this is just a side note that I was reading when I was kind of skimming through, um, another book. So the, obviously the Bugliosi book, Helter Skelter. And then there's Manson, the life and times of Charles Manson that I was kind of reading pieces of, um, by Jeff G-U-I-N-N Gun gain.
0: G-U how what?
1: G-U-I-N-N.
0: Yeah, Gwyn. Gwyn? Maybe.
1: I think you're right. Um but anyway, he talks about how Manson was raised a lot in the church and if you wanna make a connection between him watching Pastors give speeches mm. and sermons. I like that. Yeah, I've never heard that so connection. oh, he spent yeah, like a that. lot of time in church, and uh, and I know that he also uh, I, we. <sighs> I don't want to make him sound like a fucking rock star so I don't want to get into like how he found music too much but like I do know that he uh, he definitely enjoyed the musical aspect of of church like being in the choir and like he enjoyed well, that. Well,
0: he was a he was a musician and he was heavily influenced by Yeah. It's the, why we're talking about him cuz yeah, we're not a true some, Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> was heavily influenced by the, you know, the uh, free love culture, the right. hippie culture. And the music that was happening in the mid to late '60s in general, right? So, and he was a musician himself, as you'll get into.
1: Yeah, and and one of the guys that uh, that I'm going to talk about later uh, said about uh, Manson. He said he was constantly quoting the Beatles and uh, the Bible. Cause he could like, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, Revelation. Yeah, he had um, like a. was a heavy hitter for him. Well, he had
1: like a really good memory for song lyrics, uh, Manson. And he also. Emily,
0: are you and Manson the same person? I Had a really no. good memory.
1: I'm, I'm good at song lyrics. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm bad at remembering. And, and very decent at guitar. So we have that in common. Me and him. <laughs> We're very <laughs> decent at this and good at that. But, um, and then he also, uh, he was, so he was really good at memorizing like Bible verses. So he would just like yell Bible verses to the family and they wouldn't know what the fuck he was saying, but they thought he was making it up. Yeah, so that's one of the one of the tactics that that's he used too. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Um, do you want me to get into?
0: Let's just get into. So after he left on this quote magical mystery tour, it so sounds rumenal. like he met um, <laughs> he met your guy uh, Dennis Wilson, right?
1: Dennis Wilson. Yeah. The most uh, handsome member of the Beach Boys. He, he was a
0: drummer. Drummer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's three brothers. It's uh, Brian, Dennis, and Carl. And uh,
0: Brian has his. Share of Troubles as well. Brian's but a brilliant, the, brilliant songwriter. He is the
1: brilliant brainchild yeah. of the Beach Boys. But also
0: suffered from a lot of mental health issues. Yes. But he he was, he was had like this frenetic rivalry in his own mind with the Beatles. I don't think the Beatles really had the same... I don't think it was a two-way it's street. It's so funny
1: because you look back and you're like, they're doing such different things yeah. and they're both revolutionary. And it's like so depressing that they. Yeah. That he felt like he had to compare himself. Like, no, you're doing your own and It's thing. like...
0: I mean, sweet in terms that he was like so fragile and so so fragile, such so, a so, so genius. He uh, allegedly he heard Sergeant Pepper for the first time and had a nervous breakdown. Like oh. that's how bad y- in yeah. his mind his rivalry Should. was with was with the Beatles. But if you really think about it, it's like, dude, it's like if you are literally on the same cultural plane as the Beatles. Why are you tripping? Like
1: <laughs> you are, but but it wasn't. They were a
0: heavy. You're in a heavyweight fight with the Beatles, but it's you and the Beatles. But they're
1: in it. It's the sixties. They're in it. The Beatles aren't. You know,
0: I, the Beatles I mean, aren't I think, concerned with anyone. Sorry, but they're for the huge. Record. But
1: what I mean is, like, if you're in it at the time and it's like it's just a band that's out right now. Yeah, it's a little more attainable to you. You're like, yeah. this is attainable. I can do this. Looking back on the Beatles, it's like, no, that's not. Well,
0: Pet Sounds was a revelation.
1: And that was basically his solo album. Um, So anyway, so the the Beach Boys are formed in uh, Hawthorne, California, which is near Los Angeles, in 1961. Um, The original lineup is three brothers, Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson, their cousin, Mike Love, and their friend, Al Jardine. Um, and, uh, they basically start off as like a garage band. It's all, it's, Brian is kind of the brainchild of the whole thing. They have a dad, uh, Murray Wilson, who was like a piano player. And so they grew up with music in the house. And then those three boys, Brian Dennis and Carl, I think shared a room at one point. Um, so when, when Brian started getting interested in music, it was sort of, you know, uh, contagious. Um, so, uh, they start off as the Pendle Pendletones, which is a riff on the word Pendleton, which is a popular style of shirt at the time.
0: For sure. Come up with Um, a better name than that, huh?
1: So what's funny is Dennis is sort of, by all accounts that I see, sort of the quote-unquote least musical of the group.
0: Well, he was the bass player. Don't tell Tom.
1: Drummer. Dennis oh, I'm sorry. I thought, no, you're said, fine. My Dennis, bad. I thought you said, um, I thought you so, said Brian. So yeah, bad. we'll go through it. So Brian yeah. Wilson, it's funny because when you look up their lineup, it's like Brian Wilson, vocals, bass, piano, organ, keyboard. Like he did everything. Yeah. He did a lot of stuff. Uh, Carl is uh, mostly rhythm guitar, but he also dabbles in bass and keyboards. Um, they all do vocals, by the way, so I'm not going to say vocals five times. Dennis is drums. Um, Al Jardine the, uh, the friend, is uh, rhythm guitar, bass. He plays banjo. Um, and then Mike Love is... Uh, uh, vocals and saxophone, <laughs> and
0: sometimes we're And apparently, percussion. Al Jardine has been with the band like the he's entire time. He's still he's still time. around. Yeah, yeah, he's
1: still around. Same um, with uh, Mike. And there's Love. there's been so that's the original five. Uh, there have been a lot of variations on that lineup uh, throughout the years of the Beach a Boys. A few
0: deaths, right?
1: Oh yeah, and um, yeah. God, we saw the Beach Boys in like twenty. You and you and Tom. Me and Tom right? in like yeah. 2015 or 2016 in Berkeley. Um, and it was just, a, it was a pretty similar lineup, but it was, yeah, it was, it, there's a, there was like 50 people on stage. Um, so, but the thing about Dennis, so I just, I was just kind of dogging on him. Like he was kind of the least musical starting out. He was kind of like along for the ride and learn drums. Um, but he was also the only person in the band that was a surfer. Oh. yeah so he was like kind of like the spirit of their songs was like he, he kind of emulated that yeah. and he was like if you look at like physically the beach he was boys, like the mascot he's like the <laughs> mascot yeah he's yeah. like the like blonde like Let's you know build guy. yeah google image any i bet you can pick him up oh what lineup. a
0: power oh get, what a stud right get the fuck out of here look at this
1: <laughs> look at- <laughs> yeah then that's him older too look
0: at this stud
1: yeah he's a total stud look at, look at, look at him yeah
0: yeah. Super stud. Anyway, so that's Dennis. Look at any
1: picture of the Beach Boys. Classic and LA the, the right gorgeous there. one is Dennis. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so uh, so they uh they um they uh they start writing songs inspired by sort of Southern California's surf culture. Um and uh they kinda they kinda hit big with the song surfing. Um and then Surfin' Safari.
0: That's so uh, Surfing U.S. Are... or is that a different one? Oh, shit, now. Is surfing the same surfing as Surfing is, It just says
1: Surfin', but I don't know. And then there's, I know, surf, 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 surf <laughs> and safari. So that's Surfing Safari, but then surfing. I think it's Everybody
2: Loves Surfing. Let's check it out.
0: Let's listen real quick. Oh wow! So it's it's not serving it's a, you. Wow!
1: It's a totally <laughs> different song. How have I never heard this song before? This is the song that broke them out.
0: Okay, I'm not sure why, but no, in shade. I'm sorry.
1: So they they write this song in '61. They record it so 61. they signed the group wow. and they changed their name to the beach boys um okay so uh and the
0: beach boys is a great and then great i'm just
1: name. i'm gonna fast forward here because i can't get into all the beach boys fucking history it, and all their though. amazing I no it. i love it too but we yeah. have to fast forward because we gotta we gotta make the connection um so 61 is when the band is signed and that <laughs> version of surfing comes out <laughs> um so um i'm gonna fast forward to the album pet sounds comes out in 1966. Um, it's, people think of it as Brian Wilson's kind of solo album because he really wanted to, uh, I think kind of take it in a different direction. And he basically recorded most of it by himself without really reaching out to the other members of the Beach Boys at this point. Um...
0: And it's a it's a different vibe in an album. It's a little more uh it's a little disrespectful in my mind that they call it a solo album because of all the harmonies that really No, that's true. Yeah. But as
1: far as songwriting, arranging, yeah. mixing, like that was a hundred percent Brian Wilson. Yeah. So like I'm just saying people call that's it. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I'm and just saying
0: I, I don't love that because it's no, like
1: No, I, I disagree with it too. Yeah, I they but the
0: harmonies are so incredible. And even if you wrote the harmonies, the performances are still something to be spoken for. Agreed.
1: So, yeah. And he's arranging those vocal performances too, but I, I absolutely agree. Um, so that was kind of a big, uh, so that comes out in 66. And, um, after that, Brian Wilson starts sort of declining, um, mental health, mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Around 1967, uh, uh, Brian Wilson is literally spending months at a time in bed. So the band is sort of starting to fall apart because he's sort of their brainchild. He's keeping everything together. They're sort what, of on when did, he,
0: when did he start spending months in bed?
1: Like a year after Pet Sounds Wanna comes know, out. So
0: that's when Sgt. Pepper came out.
1: 67. Oh. Yes.
0: So Sergeant Pepper, I think, came out. There's that connection. So. The Beatles... Let me look up Sgt. Pepper. I'm pretty sure it came out in either May or March 67. I don't know the month. Um, yeah. When did it come out? It was released in May 1967. Damn. So it was a year afterwards. So this... I don't know exactly the time frame when he started
1: i just i just have in 67
0: he starts spending yeah. months in bed and so the, the, the rest of the band is like breakdown. shit
1: we don't do a lot of writing like yeah. what are we going to do and then mm. some of them are like oh this is our opportunity it'd be like
0: if i you know like spent a few months in exactly bed. Yeah. we'd all just
1: fall apart <laughs> Anyway, um, so the Beach Boys are going through a rough period. Um, also in 1967, they drop out of the Monterey Pop Festival last minute. They're supposed to oh, headline it. They're supposed shit. to headline it, and they drop out. So publicly the Hendrix band, is like,
0: hold my beer. He's like,
1: bitch. <laughs> uh, publicly, the band said that they could not play Monterey because of uh, Carl's military draft. But a lot of people involved in the festival thought that they were too afraid to compete with the quote-unquote new music that was coming in like Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then Mike Love said later, no, Carl was to appear in federal court that Tuesday. We were worried he was going to get arrested. You know, we weren't afraid to play Monterey.
0: Why was he going to federal court? Do you...
1: Uh, because, uh, love, he was after the concert. Um, I guess he's getting drafted.
0: Oh, let me Google it.
1: Military draft. Yeah. Um, and then in, uh, December of 1967, Rolling Stone, uh, editor and co-founder, uh, printed an influent Jan Winner. Printed an influential article that denounced the Beach Boys as "quote unquote" just one prominent example of a group that has gotten hung up on trying to catch the Beatles. It's a pointless pursuit, and I bet Brian Wilson read that and was like, "Oh God."
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh God. and I mean, honestly, the Beatles were not tripping about the Beach Boys, but the no, Beach Boys were tripping about the Beatles. It's so sad to and me not because even it's the Beach like Boys, it's just Brian Wilson. Yeah, it's
1: Brian, and it's yeah. like you're doing something so beautiful on its own. Just like it's 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 the toxic. Any compare your art to any other art, it's fucking toxic. You can't do it. I do it. I'm guilty of it. I
0: used to do it all the time when I was growing up. It's just like if another band, if like like, more people at the show would like support another band more, I used to like it felt like a fucking dagger. You know, you're just like, Oh, why don't they like me? And it's like just because another band's getting shine doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing. Yeah. It's like everybody's succeeding great. It's like it's like just like this.
2: Like, People
1: want more music around. People yeah. listen to the Beatles and they want other stuff to listen to, like the and Spoonful and the fucking Rolling Stones and whatever. Like, they want other
0: stuff. What is it? It's like, you what is it so called? Evolutionary albums. psychology or whatever? Like, you feel Ooh. like like scarcity right scarcity, scarcity drives scarcity aggression Scarcity breeds
1: aggression so yeah. like
0: when people are like really shining towards another band you're like oh that's fucked up that. they should shine towards yeah. me and you like get this scarcity thing and it's like yeah it's like this fucking primal feeling totally it has nothing to do with you yeah, and it has nothing to do with society today <laughs> yeah but we still feel it and it's like something that we should not feel at all I have and i've kind of rub- like started have- to feel i mean i'm definitely feeling better about that now but oh
1: i have to get better at at uh, at not listening to to like and this not even really local bands. I'll listen to like. A pretty established musician that I feel like is doing something similar, and I'm like, oh man, this just bums me out. And I'm like, why is this bumming me out? It's great; they're doing successfully. Like it's anyway. So that's, yeah. So anyway, Brian Wilson is devastated. Um, and then in uh, so 1967, he's spending months in bed. They decline Monterey Pop. 1968, they're set to release an album, The Beach Boys, uh, called I think it's their 19th studio album or something crazy. Um, set to release an album called Friends, that was, as they say. Uh, like doomed to fail from the start. Um they'd already been so like separated from Brian, all the other Beach Boys, it's like a weird scenario. They don't like the new the new uh pet sounds direction. So it's just sort of a hodgepodge. Um but on that album friends, Dennis, our boy Dennis, the drummer, did yeah. write a song on it. He wrote two songs on it, which he hadn't really done a lot like almost any songwriting before. So he writes two songs on this album. One is called Little Bird. Um and that's that's a by all accounts, kind of a, a well-structured song, and you know, once he's kind of accomplished that, he's sort of inspired to do more songwriting. So Dennis, at this time, it's 1968. Um, he's always been sort of the partier of the of the Beach Boys, like.
0: This is. This is Little Ooh. Birds. I kind of like it. I like
1: it, it too. It kind of has a, like
0: a weird, like kind of funky. The, I don't know vibe. if he's
1: singing, but he he wrote this.
0: No, it um, has a good vibe to it. I've never listened yeah. to this song specifically. We should definitely
1: listen to this album.
0: Yeah. We're gonna start listening to it. We're gonna listen to it more. We're gonna listen to it more. It's gonna happen.
1: Um so anyway, so <laughs> uh so he's always been sort of the partier of the group. He's a surfer, he likes to drink and have a good time. Again, also the only one who actually surfed. Uh but the other Beach Boys would get kind of fed up with him and there was a lot of conflict there. Um so in 1968, he's sort of uh they're sort of on hiatus. Uh, Dennis is kind of living off his previous fame and money. He's, uh, he's already separated from his first wife and he's living in a old hunting lodge on sunset Boulevard. What what time frame is this again? This is 1968. Okay. By the way, Dennis would go on to marry five times before his death at age 39.
0: At some point, what do you, when do you just go, yeah. Uh, maybe marriage is not for me.
1: Yeah. I, that's a lot before 39. <laughs> that's a lot of <laughs> marriages. I'm at zero before and I'm almost <laughs> yeah. Tom's at one. He's turning 35 soon.
0: You guys are almost done though, right? He's just got to get four <laughs> more in in the
1: next four years. Um, that's so many weddings, dude, I can't get my head around that. But anyway, so, um, so he's, he's sort of living like the bachelor thing. I think it's his, uh, he's, I think it's his first wife that he's just left. But uh, anyways, so his he's, first and his fifth wife. <laughs> <laughs> just it that way. Anyway, he's living on a hunting lodge on Sunset Boulevard, this like big Sounds house.
0: Sounds fucking awesome. Well, he was
1: always really good with money and the Beach Boys didn't trust him so much because he was such a party animal that they're like, we're going to give you a little bit of money right now and then a month later we're going to give you a little bit of money. So they were like, So they, they were like so, rationing out they was, Yeah, they were so worried about giving him like a bunch of money at once yeah. because he's like the party animal. They're like, he's just going to he was also super generous, super Aww. generous guy. He they seems say he always, by all
0: accounts, seems like a great, oh, totally. I would love to have a beer with him. Actually. No, he seems great. <laughs> yeah. Like
1: they, um, they always, um, yeah, he's, he's like constantly taking in people before the Mansons anyway. So we well, sorry, before the Manson family. Um, so he's, he's just really generous. He, they say he kind of felt a little guilty about all his fame. Like he, he kind of was like, just wanted to. I don't know have friends and make it all work so anyway so he's living alone in this house on Sunset Boulevard in this giant um, so now it's June of 1968 and Dennis Wilson picks up two female hitchhikers which was not out of character he was constantly picking up and that was male. also just a thing it that was just a thing all before all the serial killers went rampant no I'm kidding <laughs>
0: I think there were always serial killers. I just Dude, think they weren't really.
1: I think we couldn't keep track of it very yeah, well. Yeah, I don't think we like, oh. knew
0: until the '70s. I think there were yeah. always predators out there, you and know?
1: women are just disappearing. And yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, people don't care. But all right, so he picks up two hitchhikers. I think one of these names will ring a bell: Patricia Crenwinkle and Ella Jo Bailey. Um, so he picks them up in Malibu and he picks them up like twice in one day or something like that. Like he's just driving around and it just happens in that way. So the second time he picks them up, he, he takes them home to like go party with him to a
0: uh, quote party.
1: One four four zero zero sunset Boulevard, his home. Um, so it's just the two of them. It's just Patricia and Ella and they, they hang out. They have a few, uh, they drink some raw milk. Apparently that's what Dennis liked to drink. Uh, And mostly the girls are, like, telling Dennis about their friend Charlie. By the way, apparently, since these girls are in the family and just completely off the radar, they have no idea who Dennis Wilson is. They don't know. And honestly, like... If Dennis Wilson picked me up today, and he was like 68, Dennis Wilson, I don't think I'd be like, are you a beach boy? Like, I just, I wouldn't... I don't know. Like, if he said, I'm Dennis super, Wilson, he'd be like... I don't know if he...
0: You don't know if he'd put it together? If he was I like, guess he
1: probably said, like, I'm Dennis or whatever. He And like, the way, like, his character, he doesn't seem like he would flaunt it. Yeah. I'd be like, do you know I'm a fucking beach boy? Like, I don't think yeah. he did that. I think he just had him over. He had a lot of people over all the time. He kind of liked to have people around. I think he was kind of lonely. So he just it was just like a normal conversation. Apparently they didn't know that he was a beach boy and they didn't really know the beach boys cause they're living off the grid at this point. So they're members on their members magical, that, mystery, on tour. Their magical <laughs> mystery tour. Um, so, uh, so they leave, uh, and that night Dennis leaves for a recording session. He gets home at three in the morning. And, uh, meanwhile, while he's at his recording session, the two girls go back to Charlie um, and they tell him about this guy they met named Dennis Wilson and Charlie knows exactly who the fuck that is and goes, Oh, we're going back there. Like he sees his opportunities. Like we're going back there. Um, Cause at
0: this point he is a musician. He is an aspiring is a former at this point. He is a con artist and a former convict, right? You know, or, well, he is a ex-con, convict, yeah. Yeah, ex con, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and now a con artist and And also a musician and he's trying to break into the music industry. Yeah. So when he sees this, this avenue to, to get in, he wants to. And he's using
1: his music to sort of attract these women as well as his insane manipulation techniques. They're just, just powerful and effective and terrifying. Anyway. Um, so So, uh, so when Dennis Wilson pulls into his driveway at about 3 a.m., he pulls into his house. He thinks it's empty. He sees a man come out of his backside door, um, and sort of start walking towards him kind of like quickly and confidently. And so Dennis Wilson asks immediately, just a knee jerk, are you going to hurt me? And it's Charles Manson. And he replies, do I look like I'm going to hurt you brother? And then he kneels down and kisses Dennis's feet
0: weird.
1: Right. So Dennis is like, okay. So Dennis goes into his house with this hippie dude is what he kind of perceives. And there's a, there's a party going on and it's mostly, uh, it's like 90%. It's all girls, right? It's like all women. Um, a lot of them are topless and the Beatles are blasting on the stereo. This and is so at Dennis Wilson's yeah, it's party. At his house. Like dude, how, they do we just get, set, how do we get an
0: invite? No. Like, <laughs> so like
1: Dennis walks into this in it? and it's like, yeah, this weird Feet-kissing hippie dude just brought him into this, but he's like, okay, he recognizes the two uh, girls that he picked up earlier, the hitchhikers, uh, Patricia Krenwinkel and, and Ella.
0: Wait, wait, sorry, is this a Manson party or a Dennis Wilson party?
1: It's Dennis Wilson's house.
0: Oh, okay,
2: okay.
1: Yeah, so the, the man, all of Manson's girls have have come with Manson to this house and they just started having a party basically. And then Dennis comes home and he sees the party and he's like not trying to shut it down. Cause he's like, well, this is cool. Like he's, yeah. he's into it. He's, you know, not mad at it. He's not mad at it. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, and you know, during this time, so obviously there's, you know, they're blasting the Beatles. He's like, I like this, you know, um, there's gorgeous women who are mostly underage, which is so, so creepy everywhere. Um, and, uh, And so he's into that, and then during this time, Charlie is sort of bending his ear and just kind of giving him his weird, manipulative, like...
0: uh, How many people are in the Manson family?
1: Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I would guess, like, under 50. Um, So anyway, uh, the family starts sticking around. They stay into the next day. They show no sign of leaving, and Dennis is kind of fine with it. Um, He spends a lot of time talking to Charlie, and uh, Charlie's sort of finding things about Wilson that he can manipulate um so like for example the Beach Boys were always kind of like giving Dennis a hard time because he was partying a lot or whatever and uh and Charlie's like oh everything's the same bad is good so like whatever the Beach Boys are bitching about of you doing wrong you weren't doing wrong you were doing right they have no business making you feel guilty he's like he's like he's like trying to get in Dennis's corner and like in his head right trying to manipulate in a him. really manipulative yeah, way. Yeah. Um, it. and he also tells him, uh, he says, you know, parents ruin their children. This is a big Manson thing. It's like biological parents ruin their children and we're all like pure at birth or whatever bullshit, fucking creepy shit. Um, he says all parents ruin their children.
0: Um, well, his parents don't seem like they Den- did a very good job. No. But.
1: And, uh, and Dennis, uh, Dennis's dad was like famously pretty physically abusive to those boys. Mm. Uh, the Wilson kids. So, so he hears that and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally like he's just he's just totally like batting like tort like he's just playing uh Dennis um so later Diane Lake, who's a member of the family who uh was not involved in the murders um she wrote a memoir and she said that um Manson's ability to cap to captivate Dennis Wilson, who was a famous musician, would only validate more and more Manson's status as leader of the cult so the fact that he could mm-hmm. take this famous musician and like kind of Charm him, made just like really um made him even more sort of uh interesting to his followers, where it was like, Man, if he can like cause they're all being brainwashed, but when he's doing it to these powerful people, it's like that really looks good. Um so she also says Dennis and Charlie hit it off right away, not surprising, uh giving Charlie's skills at in ingratiating himself with strangers. Dennis was in no rush to leave. He hung out, he smoked some pot, he listened to Charlie's songs. Um so now we get into the musical connection. So on the second night that uh, Charles Manson is at Dennis's house, uh, Dennis is so enamored by this guy. He's like, I like this guy. He's deep. He thinks deeply. He's got a bunch of women following him, um, and he's a musician. Um, I want to introduce him to my musician friends, right? So he calls a guy named Greg Jacobson. Um, the second night. So this is early. Uh, that. Charlie's hanging out there So Greg Jacobson comes over He is a talent scout And studio arranger Working under uh, Terry Mulcher For Columbia Records Um, And at this time He's also Writing songs with Dennis uh, Because Dennis is like Inspired by the Little bird thing And he's like Yeah I want to write songs more So So Dennis brings him over Jacobson meets Charlie And is like I don't get it (laughs) He's like (laughs) He's like I don't fucking get it Um, So Charlie Like musically Sorry He plays Mm. a song for Jacobson And he's like Yeah I don't get it You know, it's it's. Maybe not. This is a fucking talent scout for Columbia. He's like, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. Um. So Charlie starts kind of rapping all his weird philosophy at him, really trying to like get him involved. Um. But then he introduces him to one of his followers named Ruth Ann Morehouse, who is a 17 year old. Um. Who Jacobson, even though he's, I believe, married. I roll. I just rolled my eyes. Uh. Finds this girl irresistible. Um, so basically Jacobson starts coming around more because Charlie is connecting him with Ruth. So one of his followers. Yeah. So he's basically teamed them up and he's kind of using this woman to sort of bait. He's basically prostituting these women to kind of mm-hmm. bait these, uh, these big musician guys. So he's like, this guy's important, do whatever he wants. Um, so Jacobson starts coming over more and Charlie's like, this is my opportunity to like get his year for Columbia. Mm-hmm. Cause he's a town scout. Um, so, uh, Jacobson start, starts to sort of, he, he's, he's never really a fan of his music, but he's like, you know what, this whole, it's the sixties, this whole thing is interesting. You know, maybe, maybe this can work just because it's like a, an interesting group. It's a good package. You know, yeah. it's like an interesting package. It's like this guy with all these hippie girls and it's like, they live on, they dumpster dive and they live on you know, land or in a bus or what the fuck ever. So he's a, he's a little intrigued. Um, Dennis thinks he's a fucking genius, Charlie. And uh, he ends up bringing him to audition at brother records. So brother records is what the beach boys uh, founded to sort of find new talent and sort of, sort of start producing other smaller bands kind of after they were slowing down musically. They're like, we're going to start a record company and find new bands. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, brother records.
0: Um, So it's almost like a feeder league. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. And they
1: want to. But they all want to agree on the bands. You can't just bring a random dude in and be like, I'm going to record this guy in our studio. Like everybody has to agree. Um, So Dennis uh, decides to like pitch Charles Manson to his fellow Beach Boys, which includes his brothers. And he, he says he calls himself God and the devil. He sings, he plays and he writes poetry and he may be a good fit for brother records um so he comes in hot with calling himself God and the devil. Anyway, um <laughs> nobody's impressed. Charlie comes and uh makes an awful first impression. He's super dirty. Um, they nickname him Pigpen Pen around the studio when he comes oh. in auditions because he's just like gross. Well, that's and...
0: just after uh, the uh...
2: Charlie Brown. Yeah, Charlie, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So they uh, he he also kind of is an asshole to everybody. He, he actually owns the place. He's a megalomaniac, right? Yeah, we can all agree. So he's he's not gonna be like, oh my god, you know Brian Wilson or whoever. So next nice to me, he's just like I fucking own the place. So nobody really likes him. And he's playing his songs, and they're watching him, and they're like, this guy knows like three fucking chords on the guitars. <laughs> So they're just not impressed um so that goes badly um but dennis is still convinced that this guy's great so he goes out of his way to kind of talk him up and uh dennis starts nicknaming uh charlie the wizard um and also the girls uh the followers, the girls, really—they really like Dennis um, because they can kind of hang out at his house and they go in his uh, Rolls Royce and go dumpster diving. Um, <laughs> and they also—they're
0: constantly
1: di- a cracks bug. Me up for
0: some reason. <laughs> they're
1: constantly a bug in uh Dennis Wilson's ear, like, oh, the other Beach Boys don't understand you. Like the gr- the girls are—they're like, no, yeah. they don't understand you. Like you need to—they're—they're—they're they're, they're constantly trying to recruit Dennis to the family, mm-hmm. and Dennis is like, no, I'm doing the Beach Boys thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, all those girls are super against the other beach boys. I they think they're creep creeps and they're like, won't spend time with them. Um, and, uh, so the people, uh, people in brother records are really disturbed by Charlie. I read a, so there was a quick story by Mike love, um, who's the cousin, right? Member of the beach boys. And he talks about when he first met Manson and he says, uh, you know, um, uh, Dennis invited us to a dinner at his house. Um, to meet Manson and the family. He was trying to, like, you know, put a bug in our ear about Manson. And during the dinner, he says, uh, there were several women and also Tex Watson, who we later uh, know are involved in the murders. And he says... uh, you know, we were. He went with uh, Bruce Johnson, and he says we were the only people at dinner who had clothing on. Everybody else was completely naked. So first of all, that's a little
0: weird. A little extra, yeah.
1: And then he says, right after dinner, Charlie invited everyone to go in a den area and turn on a strobe light and passed out what he said to be was acid. And uh, Mike Love declined it. Uh, he says, like, I'm not interested in Sounds doing like that. Sounds like a real square. He's like, well, he's like, I'm married. I'm. I don't want to <laughs> do this. Like, I don't want to do drugs with these weird people, do naked people. Like, I just, I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> And uh, so <laughs> so um, love excused himself. Uh, he's like, I don't want to participate. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, good for him. He's like yeah. the only married guy in this man's situation he's not into that's excusing himself. <laughs> he's he's like, like, I'm not here. into the orgy thing. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, he, like I'm into dinner,
0: but the strobe right, lights the and
1: orgies dinner, are just the naked dinner is table, <laughs> but this is too far. Um, so he says, uh, he says it's like a hot human night. Um, and he's staying there. So he goes into uh, Dennis's bathroom and he takes a shower and he says, when he comes out of the shower, um, Manson opens the bathroom door and says, Hey man, you can't do that. And he goes, excuse me. And Manson says, you can't leave the group. And love says, uh, it was a pretty intense look. And so he said, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Charlie, but I, we just, we have to get back to the studio, like business. Like we have, we got to get back. Sorry. We can't do the orgy thing. We gotta get back to the studio. Um, and then he said him and, uh, Johnson uh, left as quickly as they could. Um, to go back and record, but he said he can remember on the drive back after that, like kind of confrontation. He's like, uh, he was thinking to himself, like, damn, Dennis got himself into something weird. Like he he knew, yeah. like he had a little bit of a sense of it. A little intuition, um, yeah, he had a little intuition, and this is why. Um, eventually, the brother records guys. Um, so Manson, so Charles. I don't know if I said Charles Manson and his his family are like living at Dennis Williams house, uh, Dennis Wilson's house for like the summer of. 1968, yeah, Yeah. like June to like August or September. So they're there for a while. And during this time, uh, Dennis keeps trying to get Brother Records to record Manson. So eventually the Brother Records guys, basically the Beach Boys, they hire somebody to do a background check on Charles Manson, and they discover that he's an ex-con. And they go to Dennis and they're like, hey, this hippie dude that's hanging out with you is an ex-con. He spent like 15 years of his life in fucking jails or whatever. And Dennis says, oh, yeah, he told me that, but I thought he was making it up. But now that I know he's telling the truth, like it makes him more interesting to me, basically. And they're like, well, some, fuck. That's some real hippie shit, right? <laughs> they're like, well, fuck, dude. Um, so yeah, Wilson is constantly, he's pushing, Dennis is constantly trying to push Charlie on his musician friends, including like, so he's got kind of an open door policy. He's <coughs> in uh, He's in LA, so he's got friends like Neil Young coming over and meeting Charles Manson. And he's being like, oh, you know, like, like Neil Young actually jammed with Charles Manson and uh, was playing chords and charlie was making up like words and neil young was like this is this is good um that he actually pitched manson to warner brothers and said this guy's unbelievable he makes the songs up as he goes that doesn't go anywhere so anyway so manson's meeting all these like musicians do you ever think
0: that if manson had been picked up by one of these labels just i'm not saying he was great at music or good at music but if he had been picked up, that maybe this whole shit wouldn't have gone Well, I'll down. tell
1: you why I don't think that. And it's because when they get him in the studio, yeah. um, he's such a fucking nightmare with the producers and won't take any direction and is like so like don't tell me how to use a microphone don't tell me how to plug my guitar in don't tell me like he's so insane that like you would you would never get an album out of him um
0: yeah but so yeah so that's like you you
1: hit these points in the story where you're like well maybe but it's like he would
0: have hit this spiral one way or another oh yeah
1: he he needed to be in control and it
0: seems like there's probably a lot more mental health oh
1: he's a fucking megalomaniac And I don't think we use that lightly. I think think there's a a picture in the dictionary. Beyond (laughs) being a
0: sociopath, megalomaniac, it's like...
1: It's a scary fucking combination.
0: There's probably a lot of other mental health things he has. Being being allegedly raped as a child, being in prison for 15 plus years or whatever, and probably also having... I mean, I can only imagine the mental and physical trauma you endure while in prison for 15 years. And his
1: insane worldviews that he, you know, tried to... Yeah, it seems
0: like he was on the hard decline at this point.
1: So anyway, so nothing is... Basically, Manson keeps meeting all these famous people, but nothing is coming of it. And he's getting frustrated. Um, So he's looking to go bigger than Dennis Wilson. He wants to meet somebody... And that's that's can, another that megalomaniac
0: path. Like it's like oh, it's it's, it's what's like, next. I've failed. I've gone to bat. You know, I've been yeah. at bat. What twice, three times for Columbia I, Brothers, Warner Brothers. Yeah. That that And was everyone's like, br- say, everyone's, brother, and everyone's saying no. no. And, and he's instead like, instead of thinking that. maybe I should improve <laughs> a little bit, you think, fuck this. I need maybe to I find higher up people.
1: Three more chords on guitar. Yeah. Um, or become a better singer. Um, but anyway, so um. So he sets his eyes on uh, Terry Melcher. So, 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 so he's meeting all these famous people in Dennis's house, and it's not nothing's happening. Um, so Greg Jacobson, remember the talent scout? He's friends with a guy named Terry M- Melcher. Um, Melcher is Doris Day's son, and at this time, he's okay. a musician and record producer, and uh, he's known for uh, who works for Columbia. He produced the Birds, uh, the band, the Birds' first two albums. Mr. Tambourine Man and Turn Turn Turn, um, and then he would eventually work with the Beach Boys as well. He did a Kokomo. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, um, when he gets Colum- when he starts working for Columbia and getting kind of big in Columbia with, with the, those Birds records, that's when he hires Greg Jacobson as a talent scout, and and yeah, the three of them are friends. Uh, Dennis and Greg and Terry Melcher, um, so in 1968, yeah, Melcher's really powerful in the music scene, and he's 26, um, the three of them are, are buds, and, uh, he's currently renting, Terry Melcher is currently renting a house at 10050 Cielo Drive with his girlfriend, actress Candy Bergen, uh, and they're renting it from a landlord, um, and so, so they bring Melcher in to meet, uh, so Jacobson wants Melcher to meet Manson, and, uh, he, the way he pitches uh, Charlie to Melcher, or uh, is he says, uh, he's an interesting guy with a bunch of girl followers. They eat out of grocery store garbage, drunks, uh, garbage dumps. By the way, he also writes songs and performs them. You should come see him play. So he kind of he kind of pitches it like, oh, he's just this kind of interesting character, and there's a lot of girls involved. Um, he's kind of a hippie, and but also he plays point, music.
0: But at this point, he's literally not playing out anywhere he's not playing live no he's not going to venues Manson? No. he's just playing with he's his playing,
1: family he's living so in Dennis' ac- house it's and a, it's playing it's a literal with-
0: echo chamber where yeah. he's playing in front of his followers and they're like yeah. you're fucking amazing and then like <laughs> well
1: they're he- also in the band like the, the girls are like yeah. his quote unquote backup singers yeah and like yeah it's just a yeah um, are they in his
0: recordings at all or is it just yeah home?
1: there are some recordings with them and them uh um. Thanks to Greg Jacobson. Um, so they, uh, so Terry Melcher's like, okay, I'll meet this guy, um, but he's not impressed. Like he comes over, Manson tries to charm him, and he's just like, no. Like so Terry Melcher, Terry Melcher is, uh, he grew up being the son of a famous actress, Doris Day. So he's, he says he's like, I was used to people globbing on to famous people, and like that didn't have any, you know. Reason yeah. to be there except that they were trying to sort of there for themselves. So he was like when I met him through Dennis Wilson, I was like, Yeah, this is one of those situations. Mm-hmm. Like he was not impressed. He was like, No, the music's not great. I don't know. So this I don't is really the fourth
0: it. person who's not impressed. Yeah,
1: he's, he's like, yeah. I'm not fucking on board. Um uh so but uh this is If cruel. you
0: can't win over people with orgies, you you're not good.
2: <laughs> but so, like
1: Alright, so so but uh but he is impressed by again the sort of uh hypnotic uh, technique that Charlie uses with all these in their 20s, young dude musicians is look at all these beautiful girls. They'll do whatever you want. Um, So Terry Melcher starts hanging out. Um, He actually is also really uh, impressed by and into Ruth Ann Morehouse, which is a 17 year old that he got uh, sort of Greg Jacobson, lured in by and she by the way she looks 14 if it's it's gross yeah um and he has a live-in girlfriend and he's anyway still uh very intrigued um he actually says at one point terry melcher that he wants to have ruth ann move in to their house as their live-in maid her. and they're yeah she's yeah. Looks really young yeah. um
0: yeah good looking girl though for sure i mean
1: yeah um so anyway so he starts coming around more um he actually visits spawn ranch uh later on and sees manson and the girls perform he's just not not interested in it um he keeps trying to pawn charlie off on other people like like every like dennis keeps doing he's like okay well i'm not into this for columbia but you know i have some friends that record maybe they'll be into it so he's like people are constantly trying to like like pass Charlie off, they're like, this guy's not for me, like, and he just keeps getting passed around, and he starts noticing that. Um, Later, the family will claim that um, Terry Melcher made a lot of promises, quote-unquote, to Manson that fell through, but Melcher denies it. He says, you know, um, when I went to visit them at the ranch, I I gave them all the cash I had on me because I just felt bad for them, but I, it was never, there was never discussion of any sort of recording or record deal on my part. Um, And then, Uh, one thing of note uh, with Terry Melcher uh one night, so um, Terry Melcher uh, lives on Cielo Drive with his girlfriend. And one night, Dennis Wilson, who's still living with Charlie, uh, gives Terry a ride home, and Charlie Manson is in the back of the car. So that's the one time that Charles Manson saw the house at Cielo Drive and knew that Terry Melcher lived there. Mm. Um, and then But he never went inside and the house. And that address
0: will come into play. Yeah, that's yeah. – that's, uh, yeah,
1: a lot of you probably know. Um, and then so uh, – since Melcher kind of turns Charlie down, uh, Charlie starts working more on Dennis. They start uh, writing songs together and Charlie starts pitching his songs to Dennis for the Beach Boys. He's like, hey, why don't you let me write songs for the Beach Boys? And Dennis is like, ah, yeah, why don't you show me what you have? Like really kind of like, he, he he knows in his heart like none of this is going to work. Yeah. Um, but he, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, play me some stuff. Uh, so Charlie shows him a song called Cease to Exist. Yeah. Uh, which, uh. Manson would later claim was a message to the rest of the Beach Boys to surrender their egos and listen to Dennis. Um, But it's like, it's more like a song. If you look at the, do you want to pull the lyrics up? Yeah. If you look at the lyrics, it's like a speaking to a woman and telling her to cease to exist and like, come love me and sort of. Let your guard down or whatever. So it, it on the surface it probably didn't sound that creepy. Here, here it is. Yeah, here give it me is. give me some give me some lyrics.
0: <clears throat> it's actually really short, so I'll just I'll just read it like a Go moment. for it. Yeah. Like I'm Charles Manson pitching the song to Dennis Wilson. Nice. Pretty girl, pretty, pretty girl. Cease to exist. Just come and say you love me. Give up your world. Come on. You can see. I'm your kind. <laughs> I'm your kind. You can see. Walk on, walk on. I love you, pretty girl. My life is yours, and you can have my world. Never had a lesson I ever learned, but I know we all get our turn. I love you. Submission is a gift. Go on. Give it to your brother. Love and understanding is for one another. I'm your kind. I'm your kind. I'm your mind. I'm your brother. I never had a lesson I ever learned, but I know we all get our turn, and I love you. Never learned not to love you. I never learned. So the,
1: <laughs> that was horrifying. Anyway, <laughs> so the.
0: Oh, God. I, so. Just quick aside, I started googling "Never Learn Not to Love You," which you're gonna get which into. Which is what the
1: name of the song is at the beach Boys record. The yes, first
0: Google resorted, uh, result is "Never Learned How to Read."
1: <laughs> when you typed in
0: "Never learned oh, I'm like, damn it,
1: no, yeah. So, well, um, damn it. so he shows that song to Dennis, and Dennis is like okay, that's interesting. The cease to exist part is fucking creepy, but everything yeah. else I like. Um, and so he gives the song to Dennis and he says, hey, do what you want with this. Pitch it to the Beach Boys. Uh, don't change the fucking lyrics, but you can do with it musically what you want. All right, you can change the, because, you know, Charlie with his three chords or whatever, he says, yeah, you can, you can play with the music, make it a Beach Boys song, but
0: don't change my lyrics. Um, um, the lyrics are... Basically, the same. So the Beach Boys record it.
1: They just
0: change brother to lover. Well, they which, change
1: it from cease to exist to cease to resist. And the name of Charles's song is oh, yeah, cease yeah, 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 to yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. And the name of their song is going to be, what, Never Learn Not to Love You?
0: Yeah, Never Learn Not to Love You. The only um, things that are different, they cut a few of the endings out, but they. Uh, change brother to lover and they change exist to resist
1: right so and i'm gonna get a little bit there um basically manson pitches that song to dennis and he likes it and he thinks it could be a beach boy song um but in between now and then uh when they actually end up recording it uh greg jacobson books like a really quick recording session with charlie um and the girls at his studio in uh Van Ness, Is that how you say it? Yeah, Van Ness. I'm such a NorCal nor- girl. Yeah, it's Van Ness. Van Ness. Um, so basically, uh, I hope it's he Ness. just feels like he owes <laughs> it to him. Um, so now, so and this gives Charlie uh, songs to just distribute that he can kind of pass around. Um, so on, on August 9th, 1968, exactly one year before the Tate murders, uh, Greg Jacobson arranges the recording se- session for Manson. Um, and then in the book Helter Skelter, Vincent Bugliosi later talks about this because he says, uh, during the trial when they're trying to get Manson down for these murders, um, they go and they listen to all these recordings that they did that day, uh, because Susan Atkins, who we'll talk about a little later, um, and many other, the family members say that, uh, uh, Charlie had the word helter-skelter in his lyrics that he would play and Bugliosi's like, okay, so that's a Beatles song, Mm helter-skelter. Um, so was he just playing that song? And they're like, no, no, no. He wrote his own songs that had that in them. So Vincent Bugliosi like labored over these recordings, trying to find when Charles Manson would say Helter Skelter outside of a Beatles cover. And he could never find it. He was also looking for, um, some other words that I I don't want to give years away, but he was looking for words like rise and pig and we'll get there. Um, but that was, that was part of the trial. Um, so, Anyway, um, one other little side note I want to make, so we're going to get to the end of like Charles Manson's and his family staying with Dennis Wilson. We're getting to the end of that. Um, but one little side note that I read that I thought was really worth saying is that, uh, one day, uh, Dennis Wilson is hitchhiking cause everybody's fucking hitchhiking. Even Dennis Wilson, the beach boy. And he gets picked up by a guy. This is probably like August of 68, Uh, maybe July of 68, July or August. Um, He gets picked up by a guy named Charles Watson from Texas. Um, And they go back to Dennis's place where Charles Watson meets Charles Manson and the family and is, super thrilled because he's been sort of like a vagrant and kind
2: of fell Transient. out with his
1: family yeah. and kind of getting into drugs. And here's this guy, Charlie with a bunch of drugs and a bunch of girls. And he likes that. Um, also Watson is kind of handy. So Charlie likes Watson. Cause he's like, Oh, you can fix shit. You're a mechanic. Um, and you can run errands for me because you like me. Um, and he's sort of like another male, he's a good male recruit basically yeah. for this cult. Um, so along with, uh, so tex later is involved um in the murders um and what i did not know is that dennis wilson is who introduced tex to oh, charlie yeah, yeah because tex picked up uh charlie uh, sorry, Tex picked up. Sorry, there's a lot of names here. Tex picked up Dennis Wilson, and uh, Dennis was living with Charlie, and so that's how they all met. Um, and along with Charles Manson, he's the only member of the family that actually visited uh, Texas, that actually visited uh, Terry Mulcher's house on Cielo, because at one point he went there to borrow a car, so he'd seen that house, too, and he would later go there Damn. as part of the murders. Yeah. Um,
0: so anyway, is it Mulcher or Melcher?
1: Melcher. Do I yeah. keep saying Mulcher? I feel like you
0: keep saying Mulcher. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. It's record, Melcher. It's Melch- Terry Melcher. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. No, it's all good. It's we're all good.
1: we're reading and talking out loud. It's hard. Um, so uh, so I'll, I, I'm going to wrap up uh, the Wilson uh, connection with with Manson, and then we can go from there. Um, basically, Wait, so can we talk about sorry.
0: "Learn Not to Love You" really quick? Yeah. No. Sorry. Which is the Beach Boys? Well, sorry.
1: We're, I am I'm, I'm actually getting there.
0: Okay. Okay. Yes,
1: I promise. Um, so basically, um, in 1960 at the end of the summer, uh, Charlie and Dennis are still living together, but having a little bit of, uh, issues. Um, mostly Charlie wants to move things forward. They've been living with Dennis Wilson, this famous beach boy, and he wants to move the cult forward. He wants to like go somewhere and like create, he wants to do more. Right. Cause that's yeah. what megalomaniacs are fucking doing. Um, he's so motivated. (laughs) So he, he uh, he had some
0: serious goals. (laughs) He had some serious goals. So,
1: so he sends uh Susan Atkins who later is a fucking creep in the murders as well. Um, to start looking for places for them to live. That's not with Dennis. Right. Um, and one, one incident happens. Uh, so Dennis is, uh, they're constantly trying to get Dennis to like join the family and leave with them and leave the beach boys. And Dennis is like, nah. So Dennis is kind of like, uh, with a lot of the Manson girls in a, in a weird way, but he's also just dating normally outside of that. And he has one woman that he's dating, um, named Croxy, um, C-R-O-X-E-Y. That's all I could find about her. Um, and she comes to the house one day, she's not part of the family and Manson's there and she gets cornered by him. And, uh, he tries to do the seduction thing and is trying to kind of have sex with her. And she refuses him. She's like, "No, man, I'm not not into it you're creepy and uh, so he pulls a knife on her and he says you know I could cut you up into little pieces and then she dares him to do it and then he backs off and Croxy tells Dennis Wilson about this and he's like well yeah he's pulled a knife on me before but he's never hurt me So wow, yeah, exactly. That's a huge form of denial.
0: Dennis is also Uh,
1: good. (laughs) Knives are all good here. Um. So then, uh, after this, like, Dennis is kind of like, I have to get this guy out of my life. So he, he kind of throws a hail mary and he's like, whatever, I'm gonna get him a recording session. I'm gonna get Charles a recording session and maybe he'll like get away from me kind of like, that's kind of the idea. Like I'm just going to give him what he thinks I owe him and maybe he'll kind of get out of my life. So he actually arranges a uh, recording session at brother records, which is the beach boy studio um, with uh, Steven Desbar, which is one of their like, uh, engineers um Dennis does not show up to this recording session he just leaves it to Steven. he's like poor doesn't Steven. even show up poor fucking Stephen he's like peace, Steven. This, <laughs> this little <laughs> Charles Manson shows up and yeah. Steven's like you're the guy okay great let's go and it's fucking Charles Manson being a fucking weirdo just trying to earn <laughs> his fucking
0: <laughs> daily like, dollar and fucking dude, <laughs> he's stuck with the he brings Manson some of family. the girls
1: with him and they're like everybody is so disheveled looking like and just like yeah
0: well we've already uh, know that manson gets really mad at people when they go and take showers without his permission oh remember though the producer guy that turned him down oh. he's like <laughs> he's like how dare you no that's right. you can't leave
2: the group you can't
1: leave the group so clearly it's no creepy one is shit, to take dude. Showers. um so uh so they get in the studio these two guys the producer um engineer or whatever sorry and uh and uh charles manson and like immediately there's conflict because Stephen will be like all right man you got to get a little closer to the microphone i can't hear you and charles is like i'll play my fucking song so i want like he like i said before he'll, he'll take no direction and like yeah. he's just like just fucking play the tape like that's your job and so Stephen Despar is like no nah, dude like this is not the way that this works and like he has he has basically no etiquette at all yeah obvi- <laughs> obviously um so uh so Despar is like getting fed up and he's like, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's just wrap up. Let's try tomorrow night. Like, let's try again. Cause he, he, has got Dennis in his mind. Like I want this to work. Cause Dennis told me that we should try yeah. this guy. Um, so he says, Hey, let's try tomorrow. And Charlie says, Oh, you're going to try to shut it down. And he pulls a knife that's he his move fucking man. loves pulling a knife that's yeah his move. yeah he does it on dennis and girls and anybody um so steven desbar is like fuck this and he walks out he's like absolutely not like we're not doing this um and he gives the tapes to dennis and he's like whatever you can get out of here fine but i'm not fucking working with that guy right he's like no yeah. absolutely not like a sane person um so dennis listens to the tapes and he finds that cease to exist song and that's when he's like okay he like here's he's heard Charlie play it, but he hears the recording and he's like, okay, this has potential, um, and he knows that the Beach Boys are preparing a new album, and he's like, this could be like my song that I contribute. Um, so in September 1968, the Beach Boys record a a kind of altered version of the song "Cease to Exist," which they rename "Never Learn Not to Love," and they change it to "Cease to Resist." Right, Dennis Wilson gets sole songwriting credit on that track. Ooh, so little shady. Yeah, so Charlie hears about that. And uh, Mike Love is quoted saying, Manson was furious when he found that Dennis Wilson had not only changed the lyrics, he changed like one lyric or two, two yeah, lyrics. Two, yeah, two yeah, or three, But yeah. had listed himself as the sole composer. And at one point... Um, that's pretty shady. I know it's Manson no, it's, and shit, but that's yeah, still pretty lame. It's pretty shady. Um... <clears throat> It's, I mean, I think Wilson was just fucking
0: scared. In all fairness, like I'd be pissed. You so, know?
1: I would be too. Um. Mm. So, so that comes out. And uh, so, uh, so Wilson's, uh, so Wilson's trying to get away from Manson uh, and Manson and his family are living in his house and they keep like doubling in size. Uh, so Wilson's uh, lease on the Sunset Boulevard house is going to expire. This is late nineteen sixty eight. So Dennis just decides he's gonna fucking move out. He moves out and he leaves the family there. And he says he says later, he says that the Manson family he realized probably cost them about a cost him about a hundred thousand um, yeah. dollars in just like damages and like him giving them money and like at one point they crash one of his cars and total it. Like they're just costing like him tons of money. Car. Yeah. yeah, they're just costing him so much fucking money. And uh and he's just, you know, being generous and fine with it. And he kinda hits a hits a wall where he he says he starts to get scared. He's like, you know, this guy's pulls knives and uh he was just kinda He's unpredictable he kinda done. and he's arrogant um, and crazy. And so uh and so after uh so uh basically uh Dennis Wilson moves out of his house and leaves without telling anyone and leaves Charlie Manson and his family there and then uh the lease expires and the landlord goes in and is like who the fuck are all these people get out of here? Like Dennis's lease is gone. You guys are done. So the landlord becomes the bad guy. Basically, Dennis didn't want to be the bad guy. Um, so Dennis Except gets for like stealing
0: a, all the freaking writing so credits. So Dennis
1: gets a really small apartment that he says nobody could move into with him. He gets a little apartment, um, and then you know where they go, and we'll pick up there. Um, and then uh, Wilson and Charlie are still cool until um, when uh, when Vincent Bugliosi, the uh, prosecuting. Uh, lawyer in the uh, trial uh, interviews Dennis Wilson about it. Um, He says, what was the final straw that you guys cut off communication? And Dennis Wilson says that uh, sometime in 1969, he said it was after the Tate murders, but Manson was still free, but he knew it was after the Tate murders. Um, Manson visited him at his home, Dennis, and demanded 1500 bucks. And Dennis says, no. Um, And Manson tells him, don't be surprised if you never see your kid again. And Dennis is like, what the fuck? He's a seven year old at this point. Right. So he's like, okay, this guy is a fucking piece of shit. And then Greg Jacobson. Yeah. You're threatening your kid. And so he's like, I'm cutting off communication with this guy. Absolutely. And then Greg Jacobson later said that also after, uh, Wilson denied the 1500 that, uh, Manson, uh, handed Greg Jacobson. remember the friend of the Melcher and Jacobson and Dennis, uh, he handed him a bullet to give to Dennis and he said, tell Dennis there's more bullets where this came from. So that was a direct threat to Dennis. Right. Um, so looking back on it, uh, Dennis says, uh, about the whole thing. He said to Bugliosi, he says, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I got off losing only my money. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's pretty heavy, pretty heavy. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Um, Dennis dies at age 39. Um, How did after, he die? Uh, he, was, uh, he was abusing drugs and alcohol, and by 1983, uh, he was homeless. And in December, he drowned off the coast of Marina del Rey, California, after spending all day drinking. Uh, he was 39 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he, they, a lot of people have said that he always felt guilty about the Manson murders and the connections that were made there and... I don't think any of it was had anything to do with his fault. No. I think he was just there yeah, um, and being generous and, and, and maybe a little clueless, yeah. but yeah, and being manipulated because this guy was so manipulative. Um, and then he was buried at sea, which uh, was like, it was not allowed uh, to have their, people can only have their ashes spread at sea, but uh, they wanted to like have him buried at sea and Ronald Reagan made a special allowance for Dennis to be buried at sea without being cremated. No. Yeah, so that's that's the end of uh, my part of the story. So do you want to pick up?
0: Yeah, we're going to we'll take a break and then I'll pick up right after the family moves out of um out of Dennis Wilson's house. Perfect. All right. All, all right, right, and we're back.
1: So, we've decided that the... Uh,
0: Still waiting if you're not sponsors. driving, <laughs>
1: If you're not driving, and the drinking game for this episode will be... The <laughs> first one will be anytime I say Mulcher instead of Melcher, because holy shit, I said that a lot. I think I was I was reading off something I typed, and a lot of it had corrected, like, audio corrected to yeah, Mulcher. Yeah. So, instead of Terry Melcher, I was reading Mulcher. So, good. that's number one. We'll find a second, uh, a little game you can play to look out for. Um, but, yeah, I'll hand it off to you, Stewie.
0: All right, so let's get into it. Basically, the timeline is that yeah, we're all good. We're all good. All good all Basically, right. the timeline is he moves after this whole Beach Boys, Dennis Wilson fleeing from his own house, and right. there was like also, <laughs> Dennis
1: just leaves also him there. <laughs> I,
0: I there was like a bunch of shit. I fig, I also heard that like this crazy like syphilis outbreak or chlamydia oh, no, outbreak they, uh, like gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. Yeah. So yeah. It,
1: remember how I said uh, Dennis spent like $100,000? Yeah. He calculated about $100,000 um, when they were living there. Um, a lot of it was he was constantly like driving them to the clinic to get them all vaccinated for gonorrhea. And also, Susan Atkins, I think he paid for her teeth to get fixed. So he was, anyway. Just he, too generous. Yeah. He was generous. Right. But yeah, there was a but, lot of, uh, I think it was
0: gonorrhea. Going yeah. Around. Anyway. Anyway, so that was a big that was a big factor. <laughs> um, so he moves to this uh, spans I think it's span it could be spawn spans movie ranch S P A H N and it's uh, kind of close to Topanga Canyon in um, August 1968. And
1: it's an old uh, movie set, right? Yeah, yeah, like a western movie set.
0: And basically, they got in because they were able. I mean. This gentleman George Span was like eighty years old when they moved in. Yeah, and they had. So a... he's just this old bat, just <laughs> damn near blind, and just chilling out. Yeah. And, and they're they're like, we'll you know do we'll do some chores around the house, and you know we'll do this and that. And again, And...
2: We'll,
1: yeah. We'll
0: we'll make these chicks like hook up with you.
1: There was one in More particular. Pros- like I basic, can't remember which one. Her name one. is
0: Lynette Squeaky. Fromm. Squeaky, yeah, yeah, she's
1: the one that like is is uh.
0: And, the, and they, call, they started calling her squeaky, actually, because uh, Span would pinch her and she'd squeak. Like, oh, gross. You know, I know, really <laughs> gross. So anyway, that's how she got that name.
1: Yeah, so another um, manipulation. And he's
0: again, like, just yeah, using he's these, prostituting women these women as, um, as part of his little scheme. So, they, I mean, they would have sex with him and they would also, like, act as a seeing uh, eye guide, basically, for him. So those were like, and they fixed up stuff allegedly. I mean, I don't know how George Spann is auditing all this shit. I mean, he's like this old blind guy. He like doesn't
1: mind having him around. He's like, oh, maybe they're fixing the place up. It's just more
0: male weakness, like buying into these, you know, young, attractive women coming and, you know, being sexual objects to them.
1: And being brainwashed by Charlie too, who by all accounts was really fucking charming. Yeah. Just like a Ted Bundy type, you Mm -hmm. know?
0: Yeah. Not a good-looking dude, though. Charlie? Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, th- there's a picture of him, like, when he got married. I didn't know he was married when he was, like, 20, where I'm like, oh, okay. He's kind of a nice-looking guy. And yeah. then you're just like, oh, God. Anyway, um, doesn't matter. He's a fucking creep.
0: Yeah, definitely a creep.
1: Have you seen that? This is his wedding photo.
0: He's definitely shorter than her.
1: That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely has. He's definitely dead in the eyes.
0: Yeah, he's dead. In like,
1: the eyes. uh, yeah, yeah, dead in the eyes. For sure,
0: Lord. Um. So anyway, basically, around this same time, this is November ish. I mean, this. Is, so when they moved to Spin Ranch, it was August 1968. Um. Around this time, the Beatles released the White Album, which is this yes. double album. The Beatles are talking about we're trying to just get more into rock and roll. We're trying to make this album loud. That we want the drums to be like loud and in your face. Right. We want the gu- the guitars to be loud and in your face. And let's look at let's look at the track listing really quick. Okay. Yeah. For this. Um it has like, you know, Helter Skelter on it, which is a big one. It has Rocky Raccoon. It has, I believe, uh, Back in the USSR. Yes. Let's take a look. Take a look at it real quick. Okay, let me pull it up. All right, so it has back in USSR, dear Prudence, glass onion, obla wild honey pie, uh, bungalow bill, while my guitar gently weeps. Happiness is a warm gun, which is an incredible song. Yeah, um, Martha, my dear, I'm so tired, which I think is such an underrated song.
1: Oh, I'm um, so yeah.
0: tired. Yeah. Um, and at this point, um, it, it seems as if McCartney and Lennon are. S- Kind of writing their own songs, separating their their music. Well,
1: and I know George. Everybody was kind of it. It almost felt like in this album, they were writing their own songs privately, and then like here's the song I want On the album, and not collaborating as mm-hmm. much. Because like I know George wrote like the truffle song. What is it? <laughs> and like some weird stuff and like they were all savory truffle yes and uh and that was like totally him and then like they'd each kind of write
0: i hate to i hate to make it like a battle between mccartney and lennon but in this album lennon dominates paul mccartney like i mean he has all these he has glass onion he has dear prudence he has happiness is a a warm gun isn't
1: rocky paul
0: Yes, but he has. Oh, I'm so tired. Rocky yeah, is it's a great song. Out. I love that song. It's one of my favorite Beatles that songs. That might be. Yeah, but he also has "You're Blue," "Sexy Sadie." Yes, I'm lonely. Um, what does he have? Re- the both both revolutions. Um, you know, uh, and McCartney's the, McCartney's. God damn it! He wrote that birthday song, and that automatically disqualifies so I him. Just, I, I love I love McCartney. Hate that song.
2: Today
1: is a birthday. No, we've talked about it. Birthday. Um... <laughs> Tom
0: asked
1: me the other day, <laughs> day what my least favorite Beatles song is and I was like, I feel really bad saying it, but I think it's the birthday song. It's and I, so bad. I just don't care. I don't want to he- ever hear it again. I mm-hmm. don't care about it. Like, I don't hate it where I'm like, oh, this is terrible, but I just don't ever want to hear it again.
0: But don't get me wrong. Like, Rocky Raccoon is one of my all-time oh. favorite um. Uh, like I, I think I've told many times, my um, my ex girlfriend Sarah introduced me to like Elvis Presley and a lot of Beatles recordings that I'd never heard of. and this yeah. was like back when I was like twenty years old, nineteen years old. I
1: remember yeah her and that song. And she was
0: really cool. She was a really great, great yeah. person and like and she was like my favorite Beatles song is Rocky Raccoon. She played it for me and I and now I mean, eleven years later it's still probably one of my f- top Five favorite Beatles songs oh
1: it's it's one of the best I yeah I have a, I have a night uh, that Sarah was was there and like Caressa and I think like Kyle Miller and all these people yeah. and we were up like on a hill looking at the stars and we were all like maybe Heather and we were all like singing that sounds song sounds like Memorial <laughs> no. it wasn't it was uh, somewhere in Danville and we were like all singing that oh, song shit. really loudly I remember yeah, and Rocky I have a Raccoon. of all of us Rocky Raccoon <laughs> is, that's
0: like the lone it's such uh, a I get, good all song alright so man alright maybe McCartney wrote a few good songs he wrote
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think McCartney wrote, is always underrated he like,
0: wrote he also I wrote think he's Blackbird always underrated. for this album Dude, so fucking Blackbird and Rocky Raccoon those are some heavy hitters
1: I I I I think they're, I think McCartney's. Oh, and
0: he also wrote Mother Nature's son. You know what? I might have to, I might have to walk this back.
1: <laughs>
0: and he wrote Helter Skelter on this album, which
1: I, d- I don't, I, I like, uh, I like when Paul gets, uh, but in he also Helter wrote Skelter, Honey Pie, which is, Honey Pie is, uh, I like the, the so there's there's two Honey Pies. There's the one that I like, which is, Honey Pie, you're making me crazy. I'm in love, but I'm lazy. And won't you please come home? So there's that. And then there's the, honey pie that i, I fucking think hate this one's the honey pie. i think you're,
0: <laughs> i think you're thinking about wild honey pie i think is, you're
1: thinking about wild honey pie all right
0: let's look, let's pie. look it up hold up well <laughs> and
1: i think honey pie is the one i'm talking about that she was a working you're probably girl. right you're probably right i'm I, horrible
0: with song titles i uh, know
1: i and yeah they made two different songs but i don't know i feel like when paul gets all like emotional
0: Ah, uh, you're right. Yeah, Wild, honey pie, Wild honey pie is the crazy one. Yeah, Wild Honey Pie. But for the record... People are
1: screaming like, that song is fucking For the brilliant. record, <laughs>
0: he wrote both of them. So yes. <laughs> the point is still the same.
1: So that's his version on drugs. Yeah. Like, I, I love when Paul gets all like, oh, darling, like, oh. Ah that like emotional because yeah. like people think of him as this kind of pop voice but when he gets really like and yeah. Helter Skelter is a great example like really into his like screaming voice it's fucking yeah. good he's got a rock and roll voice dude he's got
0: so basically the Beatles came out with this album <laughs> in November 1968 this was right when Charles Manson's pulling knives on people yeah he's already pulling failing knives on in the on recording people. industry <laughs> he's
1: already been kicked out of Dennis Wilson's old house into orgies
0: big time yeah uh, into drugs big time you said September 68. Uh this is November. 16. November. So yeah. he's
1: far he's he's long. So he's at left, Span's Ranch.
0: He goes down to Hollywood, goes to a Beach record Boy, store. Charles Manson goes to a record store, listens to the White Album, brings it back to the family, and they start obsessing over it.
1: And he's already as we know, he's already a Beatles fan.
0: Yes, a hard Beatles fan.
1: Like, you said he was hearing him in jail in 64. Yeah. Um, I said he was playing him at Dennis Wilson's house in yeah. 68. Um, so he's he's probably eagerly awaiting this album, and it comes out, and is he like, this is my fucking truth? Like, this yeah. is... Anyway. He's like,
0: this is basically the greatest shit he's ever heard. <laughs> So he's checking this shit out. He's playing it um he's playing it for his family. They're pl- they're listening to it all the time. He's starting to reference certain ideology and like lyrics in it that his family's starting to buy into. Right. And for the first time he uses the term helter skelter, which is the overarching idea and point behind his entire Idea and concept of what's happening. And <sighs> yeah. let me, that's a lot to digest. So I'm going to try lot. to break it down. I have like a lot of notes, but fuck it. I'm just going to try to go. Go for it. Go all, for it. you will chime in if I you're can. You're good too. Yeah. Um, so basically. It's all
1: bad shit. Let's start and with that. I just <laughs>
0: first want to preface this is I'm just trying to like talk about what this idea is. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to like, no,
1: we are in no way <laughs> agree this is, with this. Or anything. Like I said, it's complete batshit because it is, it is a, cri- it has insane. a lot of
0: racism involved in it. Oh, he's a, comple- so it he's is like an insane if,
1: racist. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If there's anything that, you know, might bother you, you might want to like flip it off. But this is basically what his idea was about right. this. Basically he believed this concept of helter skelter, was an impending race war that would take place right. between the whites and the blacks. Or right. sorry, that's not the term that you're supposed to use. Black that's people. That's the term he used, Yeah, though. but he used okay. yeah, that right. word. Right, And I have it in my notes, so sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Copy-paste, uh, it's yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> Oh, fuck. And so basically, he thought that um, black people and white people were going to come into this huge conflict.
1: Worldwide race war. Like, yeah. he was really... Again, megalomaniac, like big picture with it. And he was like, mm-hmm. "This is inevitable," and he thought it was good.
0: Um, he, he wanted he, to. He didn't think it, it was right? good, or I think he thought it was good because it would take down the establishment, which he thought was like corrupt and messed up. So which
1: the hippies could get on board with.
0: <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people could get on board with that, right? Because the establishment—they're yeah. in Vietnam, they're, they're doing right. all this shit. They're corrupt. 60s, yeah, um, people are dying. Um, yeah, Martin, Martin, Martin Luther King's dying. dying. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on between the races at this point in time. Right. So he, he, he is kind of glomming on to all this cultural shit that's happening and right. extracting these Beatles lyrics and the thinking uh, into.
1: He's connecting things that shouldn't connect. Yeah. Exactly. And he's
0: also connecting it with the book of revelations and all this Again, other stuff. He, yeah. I
1: grew up in the church. So
0: basically what he believes is that this Helter Skelter idea is going to pick, uh, sorry, pit um, black people against racist whites and non-racist whites. And what's going to happen is these non-racist whites are going to join with black people to take out racist whites. Like
1: Charles Manson and his creepy girls.
0: No, no. (laughs) They were were technically, quote, the non-racist ones. Because what they were gonna do and well I mean he was racist because what he believed is that they were gonna live in this um in oh, uh, the
1: underground no wait.
0: No, they were gonna live in this place that he called the pit, which is in Death Valley. And what they were gonna do is get these dune buggies mounted with machine guns and all this oh, other Lord. shit and go underground Yeah underground. this Yeah, and go <laughs> underground in Death Valley while this all I played out. This bad shit but what thing. he believed is that Blacks were not, um, were not intelligent enough to govern themselves. So then what he would do is come out from underground after, yeah. you know, black people won this race war because he felt that they were like more physically like adept than
2: okay. white people. So yeah. he felt
0: they would win. Yeah. And when he emerged, he, they needed a leader and he would be the leader. Oh god. So that was like his whole concept of this quote Helter (laughs) Skelter. Yeah. Which is completely batshit crazy. He took
1: so Helter Skelter is a Beatles song and he took that Beatles song and then attached it to that theory, right? Like he didn't come up with Cause Um, I've heard, I've heard rumors that Helter Skelter was like, I've heard people say that like he wrote that song and like, it's like, no, 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 that song existed. Yeah. Right. And then he took the Helter Skelter part and went, Oh, this is about what what, I'm talking about.
0: I think what happened is he was declining with his mental health. He was going insane Oh, yeah. If not Since already age 12? insane, 12? If we <laughs> like, can, I mean, on. we can debate till the cows totally, come home totally. about when he went insane. Yeah. But um, I think he probably had mental health issues his whole life. Sure. And when he was in his mid to late twenties, when he was when was he born again? 38. So he's getting to be 30 around this time. Yeah. 34, 38. So he's in his, he's in
1: his 30s, yeah.
0: Sometimes people's mental health really deteriorates. Around around that age, you know, so I feel like I, I think he started deteriorating probably in prison and then kind of harnessed it. In a certain way. So it's this in it's order this, to manipulate it's this
1: perfect fucking storm. Not yeah. to get ahead, but it's a perfect storm of like he's already a criminal. Yeah. He's lived half his life as a criminal and just has like no empathy for people. Desperate he's, too. he's raped people, he's 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 stolen, he's done all the things that like people with empathy do not do. And then so you take that foundation and then you add a mental decline into like this weird paranoia and And it's like fucking boom you have the worst combination of all time and hate to
0: say but let's give a little bit of credit where credit's due it seems like he was incredibly um charismatic and magnetic just like like bundy it's just like this crazy storm where he's manipulative a sociopath insane right but also charismatic And and also and has an incredible memory for biblical verses yes, again and an incredible and he's able to connect that with these Beatles lyrics so he's connecting the book of revelations with these Beatles lyrics right and he's using that to project these visions of his insanity onto yeah. these followers
1: and he's seen he's seen a He's been going to church so long that he's seen how pastors perform, and he is emulating that. So he's a powerful,
0: a powerful orator as well. Yeah,
1: and he's 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 charming with men and women as we've seen. He charmed Dennis Wilson for months.
0: So basically, he's listening to the White Album and he's picking out these messages in each song, and there are five standout songs to him. The five songs are "Blackbird," "Piggies." So Blackbird, written by McCartney. Piggy is right. written by Harrison. Revolution George, 1, okay. written by Lennon. Helter Skelter, written by McCartney. And Revolution 9, I believe, was written by Lennon as well. Number 9? Let, let me take a look. Number 9? So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, think, I think it was Lennon, yeah. But obviously, the Beatles all, you know... We're involved, in yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. So
1: it's not pet sounds. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's a throwback.
0: Yeah, I mean they're well. all more involved. All right, <clears throat> so so basically, we're at this point where he's listening to these songs. He's you know he's starts to spread these ideas of helter skelter, and um, he has these five songs that he's most into, and he thinks that they're these prophetic messages directly to the family. By the way, he thinks that the Beatles are speaking directly to him. Yeah. He doesn't think that this is like a, a message in a bottle, so to speak, where it goes out into the ocean and anyone He's can like, find it. He's like, I'm and, the
1: one that discovered this. Yeah, He's like, they're no, fucking he, talking he to Charlie. He thinks that
0: this is a message Jesus. to him. okay. Yeah. So Blackbird, which is actually, it is about racial tensions. Um, McCartney wrote this song supporting Um, black women during the civil rights movement
2: oh so i never knew that yeah
0: so mccartney wrote so it is a little bit of you know uh, a racial tension thing but it's a beautiful song i remember um i had an ex whose brother committed suicide and we went to uh i
2: remember we went to uh
0: the funeral and they played that song and like it it was so emotional. I'll, I'll always connect it to that moment for some reason. But Oh, well, we, but, we're people that, yeah. I think a lot of people, but it's you and I are people that connect
1: music with moments and, and can't yeah. un- unstick them. Um, so, so actually, I, I think of that moment that you've told me because we're close when I hear that song too.
0: But anyway. Basically, the lyrics that were important to him were Blackbird singing the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. And so, arise. first, let me get into Uh-oh. there was a. So, Watkins, text Watkins, um, he told Vincent Bugliosi. What? Watson. Sorry, Watson.
1: No, you're fine. I, I said um, mulcher a billion times so
0: <laughs> that He said that Manson figured that the Beatles were programming black people to get it up, get it on, and start doing it. So oh, this God. was a helter-skelter. Like, get up, revolt, quote, arise, rise. Arise, quote, rise, arise. Rise, rise, yeah. So Manson was all about this word, rise. It was like a big <laughs> thing for him. Right. So rise was like a big thing. And blackbird singing, then night, takes the broken wings on to fly. You were only waiting for this moment to rise. To Manson, that meant black people, get up and let's get to it. Let's get so, to it. So terrifying. So I he mean, started preaching this.
1: It's so terrifying you know? how people can can interpret lyrics and go, oh, this is speaking to me in yeah. this terrifying negative Well, way. they like, were it's on so... all the drugs, so... <laughs> Not Manson, really, though. Like, yeah. I, I, I think he was doling out, like, acid, like I said, but I yeah. think a lot of the time he wanted to be in control of these people, too.
0: Um, anyway. So, again, I think Manson was actually on the side of black people in this hypothetical race war because he really hated, quote, the establishment. Right. That's what he really hated. So in the song Piggies, which is the next song that he was obsessed with, there's um there's a lyric where they're talking about I mean, this song is really freaking weird. <laughs> it's like one of those It's one yeah. of those
1: songs that I've probably listened to all the way through, like Three times yeah. in my life because I skip it because I'm like I don't, I don't like this song. But, it's it's but weird. But basically,
0: there's a line where John Lennon's like, "We need to, you know, give give them a damn good whacking." Is oh, like, and to him, uh, to Manson, the word like piggies, pig, any any kind of you know uh, permutation of that word meant the establishment. Yeah. And so, if we're gonna give them a damn good whacking, it meant that. You know, when when this race war started and black people rose up, it was going they were going to give the establishment a damn good whacking. Um. So there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff to get into. We haven't gotten to the murders yet. So I'm going to save that other stuff with with that song. Right. But, no, but, I know what you mean. But yeah. that main part was they're going to give the establishment a damn good whacking. And and Piggies, again, is like a cornerstone of his ideology about Helter Piggies. Skelter because whenever this song comes up, it's about the establishment. So right. Piggies, Pigs, whatever.
1: It's interesting to me that like his sort of M.O., um, Charles Manson's sort of like is, is wrapped up in so many different things. It's like, we're going to incite this race war. And also we're going also we're against the piggies and the man. And like, also it's like a lot. And also we're against parents and like, you know, parents ruin their children. Like he's just mad at everybody and he's still getting all these. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's, it's, it's almost like too, too many different followers
0: off. Like I know that people are young and they're like, buying into it but like i was I 14 i was 15 once and yeah. i'm not gonna like i would never i would never buy into this ideology no like, i
1: wouldn't and 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 we you see women like
0: if so you, you get into it pass. you see
1: women that turn them down yeah and they're just like no i'm good and yeah. like and it's like they're not into it and it's like a lot of these kind of lost souls that are getting yeah. into it and like like i talked about that dennis wilson's girlfriend where he like tried to like sort of seduce her and she was like, no, I'm not into it. And then he, you know, turns all scary. Um, But yeah, it's just interesting to me when you look at like all his different, like crazy paranoid fucking insane theories and you're like, this is, this is all over the fucking map. Like this is clearly an insane fucking person. I think
0: that's what was so powerful about this Helter Skelter message though, is because it started to kind of become like this laser Focus of this race war.
1: Yeah, he was trying to focus it in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then there's revolution number one, which Ooh. is when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out? Which to oh, him me. meant originally the Beatles were out. They did not support violence, they did not condone this kind of situation.
1: When you talk about it, okay. But yeah. then
0: they also say in, you can count me in, out, in. And huh. So that's what Lennon says. I put I put in both out and in because I wasn't sure. That's what John <laughs> Lennon says. When
1: you talk about this, you know, He's like,
0: know, I was not sure. In. I didn't want to get killed. That's <laughs> what he said. Wow. And then to Manson, that meant Aww. that this... The Beatles who used to to be out, they right. used to not be out or they used to not be into a violent revolution to condone this type of helter-skelter. Um... Event when they say in, now he's like, they've switched. So now that original message Manson you can count me out. Back on now you can count me in in one song. Okay. So all of a sudden, uh this message um showed him that they were in, and then the the um the lyric we'd all love to see the plan in his mind oh, no. was them showing him that he was the catalyst for this.
1: That Manson was a catalyst. Yeah, that Manson Jesus was a catalyst Christ. for this.
0: So now you can count us in for this violent revolution, and we'd all love to see the plan. Charles Manson. We <laughs> Basically, that's what he hears, wow. you know. So that's his that's his viewpoint of revolution number one. So you just say you want a revolution. revolution. Yeah. So incredible song. We all
1: want to see the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, the next one um, is Helter Skelter. And uh, this is a really important one. This is probably the most important one. This, um, is the, this is the biggest one. To him, it just means the the whole race war, you know, general chaos. Um, it's just the, the most important theme. I don't think there are any specific... It's his name for his
1: quote-unquote revolution. That's yeah, gonna I don't be think the, there's
0: any specific yeah. lyrics I bring it to him up, But... Um, he also thinks that it like references him emerging from this quote pit to you know lead oh, the pit that he's going to lead everyone yeah. into to live yeah. Yeah. right. So that, that pit? So okay, helter skelter. We already talked about it, but that was the other important one. And then finally, revolution number nine was um, basically he com- he directly correlated revolution number nine with the bible's revelation number nine um and i unfortunately did not take the notes that i probably should have for revelation number nine but um in this song there's a lot of noise right, right. no yeah there's, there's no, a lot of noise yeah. there's pigs oinking there's a man's voice saying rise There's Machine Gun Fire. Oh, God. And this was just the culmination in his mind that this is is what it is.
1: He's like, it's time. Like, this is my sign. It's fucking time. Like, the Beatles are telling me.
0: Jesus Christ. And it doesn't help that it's the second to last song on the album, on the entire double album. It's side four, second to last one. The last one's "Good Night" by Ringo Starr. And you could probably guess what that means. Yeah. It's over. The war is it's over. It's over. You know, so wow. There's a lot of there's a lot to go into that, and um, basically the oinking King revive. You know that correlates to the establishment. The machine gun fire correlates to the race war and yeah.
1: pigs <laughs> going down. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And rise, telling you everybody know, it's time. It's to time get it to rise. started. Jesus Christ. So that's that's all that. Um, and that was his main... That was the main, you know, interpretation. Um, the other ones that weren't as important was Rocky Raccoon, which he um, viewed as a... Va- it was an allegory for... And um, I'm sorry for this language, but um, the the term coon is a, a racial slur, right? Oh, so okay. He Interesting. Figured, I never made that connection before. Yeah, so he took rocky raccoon as as being black people and um. they were going to you know talk about his revival and and about
2: jesus coming after
0: his rival because i think of rocky raccoon down. as the
1: as the hero in that song
0: i i think of him as a like an anti-hero like, an an, Rocky, like a Walter Raccoon. White type. Yeah, a Rocky Raccoon. Like
1: a uh, Soprano. Uh, uh
0: he uh, Tony Soprano. Yeah, like yeah. an
1: antihero, like a bad guy. But I look you at him as a, I look
0: at him as yeah an antihero because Rocky Raccoon he is a jealous uh, lover, ex lover, right? right? So he goes to shoot down Daniel right yeah. that's his name daniel uh
1: daniel boy out yeah, the yeah. Of his his rival. Rival.
0: so he goes and shoots danny boy right. which is probably the establishment or white his people rival, or whatever it seems
1: has broken his dreams yeah and so his
0: whole idea yeah. about rocky raccoon is it's like an allegory for you know black people to to take take back oh what was there. sir yeah. you know do this whole Jeez. thing so totally basically the Fuck quote Charlie, get, uh. the quote is um, you know getting happiness and then sorry the other one Um, so yeah Rocky is, is the black man, man or the black man is going to come back into power again right. and the other one is happiness is a warm gun right which is also telling like people uh, black people you know happiness is a warm gun happiness get your gun,
2: gun.
0: you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's such of, a loose connection. You know what but. it
1: reminds me of? Um, and this is going to sound like a really, probably PG version of this, which is really horrifying. But when people try to match up uh, the Pink Floyd album, Dark Side of the Moon, yeah. with uh, The Wizard of Oz. But that's and it's so like, legit. <laughs> i have done it um like trying to imagine it it. but like it's it's like you're you're just kind of trying to make these connections and when when you point out things like oh well you know when they say the lunatic is on the grass it's when you know the lion or whatever is on jumps onto the grass yeah sorry the scarecrow and um and it's like okay there's like two connections in this long story you're trying to tell. And it's just like, you can fucking connect anything if you're fucking crazy enough about it. Like it just doesn't resonate in any truth. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't work, but people, I could see these fucking weird hippie people listening to this and being like, okay, you're right. Yeah. Like I could see like him with his kind of like, Preacher, like, uh, sort of technique and like, and like his uh, sort of manipulative skills where he would like make people feel really special and like look them in the eye and like talk to them yeah. directly and be like, Hey, this is what this is about. Have you fucking heard this album? This is what it's yeah. about. Like, it's yeah. I like, and he, they're, he's all, just on, lying, they're he, all on, they're all on, they're on fucking psychedelic drugs. And he's just like, this is what's happening. This yeah. is what's going on. And like, and they think of him as like a godlike figure and like a father, like a lot of the women that are like there, I think of him as like a father, like figure slash a lover. It's like this really complicated creepy shit. Well he's in his early
0: thirties at this point, And they're in their teens. mid to late teens. Mid to late teens. And they yeah. have probably, you know, serious, uh, parental issues
1: well i don't know if it's so much that but a little bit of that but also just that he's so manipulative and they just don't have any direction and they it's 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 a lot of stuff um because he would he would get like one of the first people that joined his uh sort of cause was actually like a librarian at uc berkeley like she like yeah she like had i can't remember her name but she like had her shit together and like and was just so entranced by him like just you can't underestimate like the the magnitude of like his presence and his personality and like him just being able to fucking manipulate. Like his
0: conviction was Men and women. Men
1: and women is the most important part. Sorry, his convictions
0: you were saying? No, I'm just saying it sounded like he had some intense conviction with the way he spoke. Yeah. But um he also interpreted he also interpreted the ballad I will as your your song will fill the air, sing it loud so I can hear as Telling him to make his own album to spread the message that he was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh
1: God. Megalomaniac. Yeah. Fucking you think you're Jesus Christ? Yeah, dude. And then in
0: the song Honey Pie, it's fuck? reference to the Hollywood song is about him because he lives in LA. And um it reinforced the idea that he was Honey the Pie, one you're that making me about. crazy. Uh it's a reference to a Hollywood I'm in love, song. But
1: I'm lazy.
0: Yeah. Let me let me find the exact lyric, um, but yeah, it's of about your Hollywood song. Yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he fe- okay. he felt like that was about him, you know, reinforcing the idea that he needed to produce this album that would kick off Helter Skelter. So the Beatles were like, to him, the Beatles created this album to send a message directly to him and his family that he needed to create an album. To set this revolution off, so he was going to be the 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 match that starts the flame, but the Beatles were like the the message to him to do that. So that's when he got the idea. I mean, he he was a musician, so they were going to do this this um this freaking uh, album to start off the revolution. And that's when our our boy Melcher Terry Melcher comes back into play.
1: Melcher? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's Melcher. It's so.
0: So. Auto to Melcher. So, ba- to so basically, <clears throat> it's at Cielo Drive house, right? Right. And um, Manson starts coming around the house looking for Terry because he's the record. He he producer. still
1: thinks that Terry lives there. Yeah. Um, like we like I said, uh, when uh when he met Dennis and then Greg Jacobson, um, and then they introduced him to Terry Melcher. Um, one time Manson was in the car and also Tex Watson on a different time, uh, and saw the Cielo drive, um, house and knew that, uh, Terry Melcher was living there and Terry Melcher, um, basically turned Manson down. Um, and, uh, <sighs> there's 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 a lot there's a lot of um if you read ex- especially like Bugliosi's account and Helter Schelker, I feel like he didn't turn around initially No but I was going to say there's a right? lot of like disagreement of whether or not when Manson ordered his his uh family members to go to Cielo Drive and incite violence whether or not it was because he thought Terry Melcher actually lived there yeah, and he wanted him to be a victim. I I or, personally believe that's or, what it was, or because he either it was a house that he knew of, and he knew that wealthy people were there, or he just he just needed an address. Like there, there, there's different accounts. Yeah. like there's definitely like uh, different ideas of what happened there. So
0: basically, we're getting into the, um, to the murders now, and there's there's also this whole situation um, of the so before the the f- most famous manson murders which right. are the la bianca murders and the uh, tate murders right um there was this gentleman named gary Allen, gary allen hinman, hinman who was he was a music teacher a phd student um at ucla and he had this situation this kind of uh drug deal with this biker gang i think and basically, what happened is the he, uh, Hinman got this money from them for these drugs. And the Manson family was involved as probably, you know, I think Hinman was hanging out with the Manson family at this time.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, basically, what happened is the motorcycle gang came back to the Manson family and wanted their money back because the drugs weren't good or whatever. Right. And so Manson believed that. It was Hinman's issue, so he was the one who was going to pay the money back, shit, and so he sent texts out there to get the it money was back, Tex. yeah, he sent texts out there okay. to get the money back.
1: He's the guy that picked up Dennis, and yeah, yeah, okay,
0: and basically, um, when they went back there, Gary was like yeah i don't I don't have the money, it's yeah, it's not a thing, you know, I don't have it anymore, so Charles Manson um he ended up I don't think it was Tex who actually killed him I think he sent him over there it was either Tex or it was uh this guy whose name is impossible to pronounce but uh um I think it's Bobby
1: Basoli B- oh, B- Sol-
0: Basoli yeah yeah. Ugh. yeah it's real rough um
1: but Manson was uh there right he was
0: yeah. Um it was
1: like on a remote part of the property at the ranch and he was he was there when this happened and this was said to be like his first
0: um
1: murder or commanding of a murder um that happened before yeah. the yeah. So he, So I'm seeing
0: here it was actually um it was Atkins and Bruner So Susan yeah. Susan yeah, Atkins? Yeah, yeah. So Atkins that's, and Brunner, uh, not Watkins.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, or Ugh.
0: Watson. Sorry, I keep calling him Watkins. Watson. She's.
1: She's. Yeah, she's a real nightmare. She's. She's kind of the. She's actually who. Um. Who. Uh. Alerted. She like uh was in jail after the tape murders. Uh, she was in jail for some other weird thing. Um. Something like theft or, or something really you know. Yeah small and uh she had a a woman cellmate who was like a prostitute um who was in there for that and she confessed to that cellmate that uh she'd killed sharon tate and that's how the ball starts rolling um okay. so we're gonna head
0: but uh basically and i don't want to yeah basically um but this guy Bo- i'm just gonna call him bobby because his last name is Buselli. i think
1: it's just is it Buselli? I, it's I spelled
0: be B-E-A-U-S-O-L-E-I-L.
1: Buscelli? <laughs> Bus- so stop. I'm just
0: gonna call him Bobby. Um so he went to go get the money. Um Hinman apparently refused to pay the money back for and it was bad mescaline, apparently. Um
1: fucking mescaline? Yeah, that's Jesus apparently Christ. what it was for. Okay. He says,
0: I don't have any money to give you. So when Bobby goes back to Manson, um Manson says, Oh, well you're going to hold him captive until you get the money. Oh, God. So, they're holding him ca- captive. Manson gets there, and this is all allegedly, I mean, no one, I don't think they've ever proved that Manson was in the room when this happened, but allegedly Manson was here.
1: I think, yeah, and it was outside, but
0: I um, think... So, they slice his ear off Whoa! with a sword during a confrontation. That's what it says in freaking um wikipedia i don't know what that entails i don't know how you have a sword i don't know what's going on here but he gets his ear cut off and then they like stitch his ear back on and then um eventually he um basically tells bobby manson tells bobby to kill him and to make it look like black revolutionaries had compi- had committed yeah. this murder that's help, what he's constantly doing is trying start, to frame
1: yeah he's trying to frame his murders he's
0: trying to frame he's trying yeah. to make like these murders were committed by black people or black revolutionaries in order to help incite this race war is what manson is trying yeah. to do so they you know they they stab him to death and they kill him and they wrote in his blood, they wrote Political Piggy, which again is that throwback to, you know, the the piggy symbolism that we talked In about. In the White Album,
1: correct. Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, then they also um, tried to recreate a paw print for the Black Panther Party. And they put that on the wall as well.
2: Good. And
0: that was quickly discovered. And um, he ended up, you know, he ended up being caught by this. And it was actually... Uh, Right where we just were between San Luis Obispo and Atascadero is where Bobby was caught by police. So Holy shit. right in the same area that we were. Um, and yeah, he ended up and a lot of people actually think because right after this murder is committed is when the rest of the Manson murders start happening.
2: Yeah, so that was kind
0: of
1: the people. It was kind of his like push over that edge where he could actually... There's push a it that far. yeah. There's, he'd been doing there's these also a theory of, that yeah. these
0: murders, these further murders, were committed in order to substant to further substantiate I- this idea of a race war, rather than it's the Manson family doing it. You know what I mean? No, so, he he
1: definitely wanted it to look like it was. That's um, one
0: theory beyond beyond the helter skelter theory, which was also brought by Vincent Bugliosi at the trial, which yeah. got him convicted eventually. the The other idea was. They were using the other murders to help um, make this this race war thing a bigger, more broad. Yeah. So the more murders you add, the more, quote, evidence there is that it's a race well, uprising they, I know and that, not uh, individual murders by I a group. Think,
1: I think, uh, and forgive me because I read this Helter Skelter book a few years ago and I'm, I'm pulling memories, but I do know that... Uh, one of the uh women that participated in i think the Tate or the LaBianca murders um was instructed to like leave one of the murder weapon one of the murder weapons like a knife or something um in the back of a toilet in a Gas station in a predominantly black neighborhood. Mm. Like they really wanted to frame. Yeah, that was the yeah, major idea. Being like, and so, yeah, the idea these was this like, first yeah. murder
0: was like, uh, uh, shit. This you know money thing got out of hand. This drug money thing got out of hand. But now we really have to go like a hundred percent with it. Theme it, yeah. Let's, let's go
1: hundred percent with throw it. Throw this into the theme and like, yeah, it's a. Uh, Yeah, it's it's just I I feel like
0: uh... so apparently apparently the Davidson family said that they wrote letters, sent telegrams, made phone calls to the Beatles to try to get them to join them before the race war. Oh, God. They were like, come on, John, Paul, George, come on, join us in those Death letters? Valley, not. Hang out. <laughs> they didn't reach the band. Probably so, not getting those letters. They kept working on Charles Manson's album, which he hoped would be produced by our boy Terry Melcher. Right. And um, who lived at this yellow drive. The recordings Who never had previously lived yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, the recordings never came um as you know melcher was like not about it he wasn't into it and so he moved out of cielo drive and that's when roman polanski and sharon tate moved in yes so then manson starts coming around the house asking for you know terry melcher they're like we don't know what you're talking about and he's like well i'm gonna go check he goes around to the back house and checks and he comes back and they're like what who the hell is this guy and apparently Sharon Tate is like quoted as being like, "Who is that creepy guy?" You I know. think she
1: like, yeah, she saw him like yeah.
0: one time through a door,
1: and was yeah. just like, "I." She just got like this terrible vibe, and there was like a care. There was like a little caretaker house in the back um, that he would knock on the door of
0: Manson Wood, uh, yeah. where
1: William Carretson lived. Yeah. Um,
0: but uh do you wanna get into the tape murders at all? I don't know how much you wanna get into it. I wanna them. do
1: it uh and I apologize if you're here for the true crime aspect, but I wanna do it pretty quickly. Um yeah, and just sort of yeah. uh not 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 skim over it in a disrespectful way. That's not what I mean. I just mean like I we're not gonna get gory or graphic with yeah. it because that's not what we're here to do. We were just uh we like to talk about the musical connection and then also obviously um sort of end our story um so
0: basically Manson Manson told um uh Tex uh Susan Atkins Lyndon Kasabian uh Patricia Krenwinkel who was one
1: of the hitchhikers that Dennis Wilson picked sure up remember Patricia Krenwinkel.
0: Yeah. yeah um to go to the house and kill everyone there um Basically, there were... So, but, sorry, so, uh, so, um,
1: he told Tex uh, to uh, go to that house where Meltra used to live and to- quote-unquote, totally destroy everyone in it as gruesome as you can. And he told the, uh, when he was talking to the, the girls about it, Susan and Linda and Patricia, he said, uh, I think it was something like, leave something witchy. Or uh, leave a sign, something witchy. Um
0: So the sign that they so they basically murdered everyone in the house. Um Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger, whoa, this is an impossible name too. Wol Scheich, Coffee, yeah. Frukowski, yeah, um, Steven Parent and and Sharon Tate who Jay Sebring, yeah, yeah who was uh eight months pregnant. And, um,
1: yeah, married to Roman Polanski who was yeah. there. Um, and was, they, don't, they, they only moved, the they'd only moved in like a few months before too.
0: Yeah. Which is, and, really um, insane. so to connect them further to the Beatles and the white album, right. Uh, Atkins wrote pig in blood on the front door as they left. Um, so that was the first set of murders and that was August 8th, 1969. Now the next night on August 9th, 69, um, it's the murder of, uh, it's the LaBianca La murders. Yeah. Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. Oh, they're just like a... Yeah.
1: Old married couple. Yeah.
0: And basically, they, they drove out there. I keep saying basically. That's the other part of the drinking game.
1: <laughs> I think... Was <laughs> this drove, kind of a random house that they picked? Um,
0: They said it was a house next to a house that they partied at, which is probably so as it, random as you can get, right? creepishly random. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty random. Um... um so I don't want to get too much into the details. They say that Manson was there. He was there. Yeah. I feel like he,
1: uh, I think he went in and he tied them up and then he came back out and then the the family went in. So he was definitely yeah. part of that.
0: And there was a um, bunch of violence committed and, and basically the, what was written in blood again Around the murder scene was the word rise, which as we've talked about is, you know, a key theme in this Helter Skelter idea. Um, Death to pigs. Which is further showing that he was on the side, uh, you know, of against the establishment for this uprising that was going to happen. And also Helter Skelter. So that was all all in blood. And, um, they, I think they also killed them with, uh, forks and knives, which is another lyric yeah. in the Piggy song. There was so a lot of a- that's the other thing, um, which is kind of disturbing about this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but apparently, apparently they were trying to, um, what, one sec, uh, they thwarted so Kasabian it says here in you know Wikipedia Kasabian thwarted this murder by deliberately knocking on the wrong apartment door and waking a stranger as a group abandoned the murder plan and left Atkins uh, shit in the stairwell which is super fucking random they were hoping to like kill more people basically right. and uh, they just totally screwed up and they left yeah but they were trying to they were trying to commit another set of murders that same this night Nice. And um then you know they were caught I think <sighs>
1: like I said when, uh, were, when,
0: were, when were they caught uh, like so I said Susan Atkins goes to jail apprehension December 1st 1969
1: I know that uh Susan Atkins goes to jail um and has a cellmate who she's you know she's a chatty Kathy and she uh she's this bubbly teenager and she's excited and brainwashed and is trading stories with uh, a prostitute and uh, her cellmate, and says, "Oh yeah, I killed Sharon Tate, basically." And because she's trying to impress her, yeah, you know, the, all these girls all have stories in jail, and Susan Atkins is trying to be impressive, and uh, basically confesses. And this other chick just throws her into the, not sorry, that's the wrong expression. She does the right thing, and she goes to authorities yeah. and says, "Hi, like this, this." fucking teenager just told me this and i don't know if yeah. it's true but yeah. like you guys should look into it and um and then it sort of snowballs from there and it's a it's a long story It it's it's uh it's really worth diving into uh helter skelter by vincent mugliosi is one of the best uh accounts of a trial i've ever read um mm-hmm. He's a complete badass lawyer. Like, he he basically takes no evidence and researches this Manson family so well that he's able to sort of present this insane story that's like so unbelievable that it's like, Oh, just a bunch of like hippie white people. Well, there's Helter Skelter idea. Yeah. It's, it's all crazy. The whole case. He he pitches it to the court in this way and it, and, and it's so fucking crazy. And he pitches it to the court and like, also there's a lot of outbreaks from Manson. Um, there's one thing I do remember from reading Helter Skelter. It's, it's a very quick detail, but it's really creepy. Um, Bugliosi is the lawyer, Uh, he's kind of a very matter of fact, um, kind of very, uh, stoic, uh, reasonable guy. And, uh, he's, he's like, yeah, like I, you know, I was looking at this, you know, uh, from a technical aspect and like, I was seeing how Manson was brainwashing people and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, "I, I, I didn't get it. Like I met him and he has intense eye contact and like, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get it. But he does say at one point, um, that they're in court and he's like, I looked over and Manson was uh, just staring at me, just staring me down. Yeah. And he's like, I swear to God, I looked down and my watch had stopped.
0: Intense. Yeah. So basically anyway, (laughs) he he, like, he argued (laughs) this whole helter skelter idea and he he evidenced it with, down the Manson family. Yeah. He, they found a little bit of evidence like fingerprints and, and stuff like that. It was
1: one of the, yeah, girls, it was, uh, Winkle or somebody at the at the Cielo Drive house there was a, a fingerprint. Or maybe the other, the other one. But yeah, basically, um Yeah. Basically
0: They were basically all given the death penalty um until um California. It, yeah. Yeah.
1: Got rid of it. Um, and then I believe Manson died uh, in prison. I yeah, think last very recently, year very recently. California. Yeah,
0: it was a weird event yeah. because it was. It felt like. And he had tr-
1: followers up until the day he died. Which oh is yeah, so fucking really
0: creepy. Creepy. He died of a heart attack um, and complications from colon Camper, November nineteenth,
1: two thousand seventeen. Okay, sorry, not last yeah, year, but yeah, so two thousand seventeen. It was. I I remember it was recently.
0: And yeah, like, he was eighty three. Ugh, um, so
1: depressing that he yeah, lasted so long.
0: Yeah yeah so it's a pretty intense thing i don't really know how to wrap it up in a bow you know like we can't wrap it up in a bow
1: and like if anybody listens to this and goes you know what the fuck like maybe you wanted to hear more detailed about the murders that's 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 not really yeah that's not not ours yeah it's not our uh mo in this podcast um again the rewind is going to be more about rock and roll history so
0: just Um, to cap it off i kind of wanted to go over some quotes from the beatles yeah about the white album and about manson so i have a few quotes um one is about kind of sergeant pepper going to the white album and ringo always a fun loving you know fun loving type of guy yeah he was like sergeant pepper did its thing it was the album of the decade of the century maybe it was very innovative great songs i was glad i was on it but the White End album, we ended up being more of a band again. And that's what I always love. I love being in a band. And I think a lot of them agree, despite the fact that the songwriting was a little bit more um, split, Yeah, that they really felt like they were all involved in the creative process together again. Huh. So Ringo kind of states that. And I've heard a lot you know, of quotes. They kind of say that, too. And then John says, I wasn't interested in following up Sergeant Pepper and I don't know whether the others were or not, but I know that what I was going or sorry, but I know that what I was going for was to forget about Sergeant Pepper. So all of them are kind of on the same page. Like they want to move on from Sergeant Pepper, which is great. Um, I'm not really sure that the White Album is that like drastically different from the White Album. Is Am I crazy? Like The White Album
1: different from Sergeant Pepper? Yeah. It, um... I think the white album is I think the I think okay if I was to just a just a complete kind of first impression of those two albums i think *Sgt. pepper to me sounds more cohesive as an album where you yeah. listen to each song and you go okay these are all kind of in the same sort of vein and theme they had a lot more and gimmicks
0: w- too in terms of like studio effects and well yeah on the more like, musical yeah. side and
1: then to me the white album sounds a little more it, it can be not a criticism per se but it can be a little bit all over the place yeah Sergeant Pepper was a little more. It compact. seems like they didn't
0: trim the fat so much on the White Album. Uh, I agree with that. But um, there was definitely what, some. Yeah. What John says is, you know, so he says, what I was going for was to forget about Sergeant Pepper. You know that that was Sergeant Pepper, and that's all right. Fine, it's over, and just get back to basic music. So they yeah. kind of had this idea of getting back to being a band, getting back to this basic rock music. Yeah, but
1: the, the White Album is, to me, it does sound like four different songwriters that recorded one giant album together where no one wanted to cut yeah. each other's songs. And like there's a little bit of that too. Yeah. Um I'm, I'm sure I'll get crucified for that. But I, I love the White Album. I just I just think compared to the albums before that that the Beatles did, um, it does seem like the most sort of uh um Separated as far yeah. as song to song to song to song to song, like you don't listen to each song and be like, "Oh, this is." You could just throw that song in. Yeah. Random or throw that album in random, and it so could
0: kind of. I'm gonna finish this off the with a quote from each Beetle about, um, about the Manson family. Sure. Basically, sounds good. So first off, um. He, John said, Helter Skelter is just a, a track that we did in Total Madness and Hysterics in the Studio. You know, sometimes you just got to go shake out the jam. That's what John's, like, impur- like impression on Helter Skelter was. Hmm. Um, and then he says, it has nothing to do with me. This was in a 1980 Playboy interview. Manson was just an extreme version of the people who came up with the Paul is dead thing.
2: So he's like,
0: he's like, they interpret, you know, those are people interpreting our lyrics for Paul is dead and they're having fun with it, whatever. But this is a guy who's interpreting these lyrics and being murderous with it. So he's like, it's an extreme version of that. Hmm, Basically. Interesting. He's like, it's the same thing as those who figured out that the initial. So Lucy in the sky with diamonds was LSD LSD. and concluded I was writing about acid. So John's whole point is like, they're just like the extreme murderous variation of of that type of person. Yeah, you know? it's the
1: extreme. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's terrifying to put your art out
2: there. I think, and think he's got that his finger can, right on the pulse. So yeah, he's right.
1: People can, yeah, people can listen to your your art or your lyrics or your poetry or your writing and go, oh, it means this, and make all these insane connections. It's like that. That's very out of your control because the when you create something, when you're an artist, when you Create music or art or whatever. You're yeah. opening yourself to in- interpretation. Yeah. Um. And, uh, some people with a lot of ill intentions, or just a fucked up brain at that point, um, could could take that and and take that as their like siren call and go, this is my fucking yeah. calling. And, and John, I, I really like me John's and, like, how terrifying. point of view
0: on it because everyone else's point of view is just kind of basic. Like, it's like
1: the the press told them to say that kind of no response. <laughs> no everyone
0: else's was just like oh it was super sad like so I really like John's point of view because his was like kind of deep talking about how people interpret lyrics and Paul just said uh, it was frightening because you don't write songs for those reasons that's what Paul McCartney said but, I mean that, that I get yeah. that too
1: that's 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 good too that's and of true course,
0: but that's like also like a no shit thing right like you don't write songs to have people murder a bunch of families like. That's pretty obvious, right? No, but it's,
1: it's so horrifying to think that you can write this song... With just these normal songwriting intentions, yeah. and then have somebody take that to a physical act, like a, a real-world act of tragedy and violence, and then blame your little song that you wrote yeah. about it. It's so, like that. That's anyway. It's just all horrifying.
0: Yeah, and George Harrison says it was upsetting to be associated with something so sleazy as Charles Manson.
2: Sleazy.
0: Yeah. So George obviously wasn't about it either, you know, just yeah. a, it sounds like they're kind of they really don't even want to be associated with it at I all. I get it. Which I makes get sense, it. but it is totally hard to extract them from it because at the same time, like until the Manson murders happened and until Manson was convicted, um Helter Skelter the song, it it wasn't even something that they played. I mean they didn't play concerts anyway. It wasn't something that Paul played yeah. because he went on to a solo career. He he started playing Helter Skelter a lot and he added it to his set. So it gave it some kind of cultural significance. You can either associate with that Manson or with Manson or not, but the fact is that man or that he they weren't playing that music and he wasn't playing that music. So they played it on the white album. Yeah. But he was not playing Helter Skelter live. It was not something that they chose that he chose to play live. Yeah. And then eventually he started playing it more and more, and now it's like a staple in his set. So, is it a Manson thing? It I don't or think. Or is he it would, just
1: Paul going? I wrote this song, and because
0: it's kind of an innocuous track, I get to
1: take it back. Because like when you go solo, do you get to take the songs that you wrote? So he goes, okay, I get Oh Darling, and I get Helter Skelter, and I get. i'm not saying there's not a connection where it got
0: big but it's a it's it's a um, i like to think that he
1: wasn't like it's not like it's not like
0: paul mccartney ever said like yeah because manson happened and helter skelter became super famous because of that crazy idea that i started playing it again but that you know people theorize that's why he plays it now because people it's now part of of like just our american history this huge uh-huh. thing you know so uh, there's something to be said for that whether or not you buy into it, it it's up to you yeah but the fact remains that he just recently started in, including helter skelter and people love it i mean it's a great song i, I think it's a great but you song. know
1: do, like as a songwriter like can't you fucking take that song back? That's what Bono
0: tried to do. That's what we talked about. (laughs) I'm
1: not going to talk about Bono, but like, I mean, like, can you imagine writing like one of our songs, like my side of town or stumbling? And it, it, and it creates this, 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 it, it, sorry, it doesn't create, but a tragedy happens and is connected with this song that you wrote out of your brain, from your heart. And like, you'd grapple with that for years and years. And then you want to kind of take that song back and you want to create, new memories with it and you want to maybe create a new meaning so, for it and it's the 2000s my, and you're like, personal, fuck it, I want to play Helter Skelter and have opinion, it be my song that I wrote. My personal opinion about that
0: is I don't think that he's doing it specifically to take it back. I'm not, I don't think he's going, we're going to take this song back and like, that's why well, it's playing like it. a and lame also, way. <laughs> and also, I don't think <laughs> that, he's pandering. that he's going, well, people want to hear this song because of the Manson murders. Yeah. What, so he's
1: not pandering to that true crime, weird, what, shitty obsession what I think, and he's not, here's
0: what I think happened is the whole idea of Manson's helter skelter, which was blown up in the media and it's undeniable that it was blown up in the media. And then Helter Skelter, which was like this random track on this double album with 20 songs on it, is now brought to the spotlight. So now people who wouldn't maybe dig through the entire 20 songs, they start listening to Helter Skelter to be like, "Oh, what is he talking about with these lyrics?" Start Hmm. listening to it, and then it populate or uh, sorry, it becomes more popular, maybe because of that connection. So then when he does play it. People react like, oh, because everyone knows it, rather than it just being a buried like B side. All of a sudden, it's brought into the spotlight. So I don't think he's playing it for Manson at all. I think he's playing it because when he has played it, maybe when he first played it again after like you know forever, it got a really good reaction because it is on the American conscious. It is something that has infiltrated the American conscious.
1: Whether or not people know why they've heard it under nefarious
0: pretext, but
1: right, but it it got. It got play. Yeah, it did. It got play. Yeah, it and, got radio play. And people
0: sought it out because they're like c- curious about the connection, you know? Yeah. So that's what I think. Basically. Probably
1: just like that shitty Beach Boys song. Yeah. Um, never not, never, never, not
0: to <laughs> never learn, <laughs> learn not, to love. Never not to
1: love. Too so many negatives at Never Learn Not to Love, where it's like, listen to it. It's not a great Beach Boys song. It's not a great song. But if. I think if, there's like
0: a live version of doing of them doing it at like a freaking like some kind of we should show watch it it's,
1: it's it's funny because like i uh, i was reading about the song and i was like i was like okay like manson wrote a bunch of fucking songs and like some of them were seemed tame like look at your game girl or whatever like it doesn't immediately spark red flags and then dennis hears this song and he's like yeah we could turn this into a poppy beach boy song yeah and then you listen to it and when you know that he wrote it you're just like Fuck, this is really. I mean, you read and the, you've heard the Charles You're like, Manson this version re- too. Yeah, it's yeah. like the cease to exist. It starts with cease to exist, which is like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's this anyway.
0: So Ringo actually knew Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate.
1: Oh, no. So Ringo
0: says, I knew Roman and Sharon, and God, it was a rough time. That's all oh, that Ringo honey, said. Fuck. Yeah. So basically, that's it, and I've said basically uh, too many times. <laughs>
1: it's 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 hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to know where to end this story um, because we could go on um, with the with uh, more of the aftermath and the trial and all that. And I and I I just don't think that we need to. I think that uh, that those who desire to shall, you know. Yeah. Um. But basically. Um, it's, it's an interesting piece of history. Um, I, I think that, and I don't want to sound like we're in any way like glorifying Charles Manson. I think we all agree that he's a fucking nightmare. That's my favorite word to use for people. And I don't know what to say. (laughs) Like just a complete sort of little touch of evil in a person that is, has affected so many lives in such a gruesome disgusting and disturbing way. Um but when it comes to talking about our history and pop culture, um I think that it's interesting and I think it's worth knowing about. Yeah. And uh and I think that uh I think that we uh we've done our best in telling our parts and again like we we're not a true crime podcast. We're not trying to talk detailed about the crime itself. Um, and about, you know, all those details. That's not really our MO, what we want to do. It's more the
0: connection between. It's the connection
1: in, in music history because that's where our podcast stemmed from. So hopefully you understand that. And you understand that we were trying to also tell, like, I think that I said it before, but I think when you look at the, the whole manson phenomena this whole thing um that the musical connections tend to be a footnote like the beach boys and the beatles yeah. connections and if you look into them it's a i think it's a huge part of it so hopefully we brought I that mean, to life is a little a bit it's a
0: linchpin like i said it's a linchpin that started the whole murderous ideology right it was their it, it was, was rejection. Going, it, it was, was a going, lot of rejection too. It was going to be who they framed for these murders was based on this whole helter skelter idea right and then in in the trials it was v- what vincent bugliosi used to you know say this was the plan right this was the family's plan it stemmed from the beatles and he, catalog he talks and talks about this like, is
1: it he talks about it and dude read read helter skelter i don't care who you are it's fucking fascinating just the way they put this case together like it's just incredible um but yeah bugliosi talks about like playing the Beatles songs in a courtroom to a bunch of people who'd never heard the Beatles before and trying to explain why this pop quote unquote pop music was like relevant to this yeah. murder trial. And the jury's like, why are we listening to the fucking pop? Well, the like, jury wh-
0: actually requested it. The jury, the only two Ooh. things they requested, um one was to listen to the White Album and two, oh. to visit the murder scenes. So... Oh, wow. Those are the only two requests that the jury had.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely look into those. The trial is a fucking circus. Manson jumps out at people at one point. Um, Tries the girls, to represent himself. Yeah, the, girl, <laughs> the girls, uh, like, shave their heads at one point. It's There's a lot of just terrifying culty mm-hmm. shit going on. Um, but uh, but yeah. yeah I, I think, think that's pretty much I think it. We gotta I we got to wrap this it our, up. <laughs> this is our
0: record long podcast. No, maybe I, I other knew. Than the go where I we, knew uh, going
1: in it would be yeah. long, and like I have to, I have to admit, like I have read about this a lot and researched a lot and I still feel like I'm missing a lot so my apologies if you think I missed uh, anything or we missed anything but like again we're not we're
0: trying to go with the Beatles and the Beach Boys yeah we're trying to make our musical
1: connection here so if you can if you can hear that and uh, hopefully learn you know something from that that you didn't know before yeah Uh, that was what I was that storyline is what we were interested in and wanted to tell is that like pre pre murder sort of Rock and roll connection yeah. that really changed. So, just very briefly,
0: uh, in Radio Keys News, we're going to be playing a show at Neck of the Woods on March thirtieth,
2: thirtieth, with
0: Swoon, Roxy Rawson, and Elgato Dice. And uh, Elgato El Dice, I don't know how you say her name. I, don't I think know. it's Elgato Dice. Like come on, say Dice, Dice or Dice. I come on, say Dice. Dice. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's Spanish and (laughs) it's not my specialty. Um, So March 30th, we're playing in San Francisco. So we hope to see people there. And uh, that's pretty much it. So we're going to wrap this up and we're going to see you next week, hopefully with um, something a little bit more upbeat. I think we're going to do another uh, rock and roll review. So uh, I'm Stuart. I'm Emily. And uh, we're going to keep searching for that sweet Sweet soul soul music. music.